0: A ring in endorsement, I guess. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Well, everybody knows your Hello, ho, ho, ho. Yes, it's that time of year again. Oh, it seems like only several many years ago that... I recorded myself reading slash acting? No, not really. Uh, out the entire script to the movie Scrooge starring Bill Murray. Why would I do such a thing? So that each year I would post it for uh, Xmas, Christmas, if you like that sort of thing. I prefer Xmas myself. Uh, and then I would uh, post it so I could, uh, you know, take a week off of uh, podcasting. Uh, my thought is every year I do this, uh, every year I create a new show, a little opening to introduce that fact. This year which I'm not going to say what year it is, you could fill that year in yourself. I'm going to, once and for all, create a uh, show beginning that is not year-specific. So, uh, I could just post it every year, I don't have to do this part every year. Because it's some work, when the whole point is to do no work. Capiche? Which is a North Pole saying, meaning, do you understand? Oh boy. Uh, Okay, so uh, basically what's going to happen is you're going to hear a button. I I don't know if there'll be a button. Yeah, maybe. You know what? If I'm only going to do this work, maybe I'll put some sort of sound. A bell. A jingle. I don't know what it'll be. We'll see what I can find, okay? God, you're so picky. Uh, and then uh, you'll hear me uh, read slash no I I should take out the slash acting up part (laughs) basically just read the script Uh, and then uh, you know consider holiday completed at that point I guess Uh, I think I say it's nice to be nice to the nice at the end of this probably but if I don't I'll say it now it's nice to be nice to the nice play sound here and we're going to have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap-danced with Danny fucking K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. Scrooged. A Christmas Carol by Mitchell Glazer and Michael O'Donoghue. What I am about to read is apparently the seventh draft, and was... Um, printed off on November 23rd, 1987. Okay? Okay. Uh, Before I jump in, let's just say that I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I have not pre-read the script and have absolutely no plans whatsoever. So, with that in mind, be gentle. Fade up on exterior North Pole night. Establishing shot of Santa's workshop, a quaint ginger-red cottage nestled in a serene, snow-covered valley. Smoke curls from the chimney. The music playing is Silent Night. Played on a celeste, enhances the Christmas card peace and beauty. We move closer and isolate details. A candy-striped column marked North Pole. Below the glistening, icicle-trimmed eave, silhouetted on the shade of a frost-veiled window, Elves put the final touches on some toys. Tapping an extra nail, adding the last dab of paint. Reindeer nervously paw the ground, gently jangling their sleigh bells as they shake the snow from their antlers. Cheeks fat with acorns, a chipmunk scampers across the yard to his home behind the woodpile. A rusty old weather vane creaks in the breeze. All the arrows are stamped S. In the sleigh, sits a huge sack overflowing with gifts which include toy drums, bisque dolls, teddy bears. Backlit by the full moon, a snowy owl hoots softly and shuts its eyes. The sky sparkles with stars, but one shines brighter than the rest. Is it a falling star? No, it's a flaming mortar shell that screams into the cottage and explodes in a teeth-jarring fireball of multiple blasts. Music-changers... Music changes to standard TV action fare as a gritty-voiced announcer cuts in. Announcer 1, 7 o'clock. Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Chuck Norris can stop them. In, cut to violent montage, which includes an elf knocking out a window with a gun butt, Santa slamming a clip in an assault rifle, close-ups of AK-47s and M60s firing, Bullets shredding a Christmas tree Bullets splintering a cuckoo clock Bullets chewing up a row of candy canes Montage ends on Chuck Norris Poised in a road warrior Arctic battle gear Sleeves ripped off, white bandana around head Brandishing a flamethrower Announcer 1 The night the reindeer died Chuck Norris Eat this Chuck pulls the trigger Uploading a fountain of fire Cut to uh, external bayou day. A tuxedoed Robert Goulet stands in a dugout deep in the bayou. He pulls he pulls the boat while singing The Little Drummer Boy. Announcer turns syrupy. 8.30, the America's best-loved singer invites you to share a hope-style holiday. It's... Announcer... It's Bob Goulet's Old Fashioned Cajun Christmas. Bob Goulet. Parum rum pa pum just me and my drum. Cut to Gator. A hungry gator glides off the bank and heads for Bob. Back to scene. Bob Goulet. Me and my drum. Cut to External Street Night. Waist-high shot of sidewalk Santa ringing on snowy street. Music is silver bells. Announcer, tough. Nine o'clock. Someone is killing sidewalk Santas, and only Lonnie Anderson can stop him. Fat, jolly, and... Music ends as we hear the sound of a lead pipe crushing a skull. Bell slips from Santa's hand and clatters to the gutter. Announcer, dead. Uh, interior, Victorian parlor. Night John Housman sits in a wing chair in front of a crackling fire, reading from a red leather bound copy of Scrooge. John Hausman. It was a cold, bleak Christmas Eve. The fog draped streets of London were fate his audio continued. Announcer one. Ten o'clock ABC presents live via satellite from New York, Bethlehem Helsinki, West Berlin, and the Great Barrier Reef, Charles Dickens, and Christmas Classic Scrooge. Starring Marlon Brando, Barbara Streisand, former Speaker of the House Thomas P. Tip O'Neill, The Solid Gold Dancers, and Mary Lou as Taddy Tube Scrooge, It'll touch your every heartstring. Cut to Interior Living Room Night. TV set with Scrooge, title on screen. A Rockwell-esque family is gathered around watching TV. Mom and Pop on a couch, Junior on the floor with a puppy and a bowl of popcorn. Their happy faces glow in the warm TV light. Junior. Hurry up, Gramps, it's starting. Gramps hurries to join the family. Announcer answer one. That's right, it all starts on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve at IBC. You'll love it. Under logo, you'll love it, spelt Y-U-L-E. Cut to interior Frank's office day. Reveal that we've been watching a TV screen in an office at IBC, the international broadcasting company. The lights come up. The same silver IBC logo is mounted on the wall. A table is ringed with network executives. At one of the table is the big TV monitor, at the other end sits Frank Cross. President of IBC. Who presides over the meeting. Frank is trim, polished, and good looking. At 38, he is young for the powerful position he holds. The press still calls him a TV Wonderkind. Co-workers call him the Smiling Viper. Miss Grace Cooley, his attractive black secretary, sits near him taking notes. This is a power office, bleak, modern, and immense. It is on the 22nd floor with huge grid windows that look down on New York City. It's designed to impress and intimidate. There is futuristic design furniture, a wall of TV monitors, a private bathroom, a small kitchen, a bar. Above the ultra-modern desk hangs a Picasso from his 1907-08 African Negro period. The walls are decorated with primitive masks, the closest thing Frank has to a hobby. The massive desk is littered with Scrooge miscellany. Drawings, models, posters, swatches, etc. No one speaks, waiting for Frank's reaction. There are a few nervi- nervous costs. coughs. <coughs> Frank finally leans forward in his chair. Frank. It sucks. Executive one. There's something missing. I don't know. Wayne. A smarmy sycophant leaps on the bandwagon. Wayne. The Chuck Norris thing was way over the top. Frank. Chuck Norris was fine. Wayne. But somehow it worked. I don't know why. Executive two. No, it's something else. It's not, uh... Wayne. Bob Goulet looked wrong. We should have lost the gator. Frank, the gator's great. Grace, refill. Grace leaps for the coffee urn. Wayne. Uh, of course my kids love the gator. Ted, aggressively young head of publicity, shakes his head. <gasps> it's not the gator. It's not Chuck Norris. Wayne. Thank God Scrooge works, Frank. Scrooge stinks. Ted, snapping his fingers. There's your problem, Scrooge. Frank, we spend $40 million on a live TV show. and We've got an ad with some old fart reading a book by fire. Elliot Loudermilk, a slightly nerdy junior executive, raises his hand. Elliot, uh, sir, we, we've we been running that spot for months, and we're getting a terrific response. Frank, I'm the youngest president in the history of television for only one reason. I know people. Elliot. But but the people already want to watch the show. Frank, giving Elliot a dead stare. That's not enough. You've got to be afraid to miss it. Grace, kill the lights. The room glows... The room goes black. A new TV promo begins. It is a shot it is shot in a high contrast black and white, scored with heavy metal, and features grit voiced announcer. Uh, sound effects are an amplified heartbeat. Black screen announcer one Freeway Killers External Freeway Night. All five passengers of a speeding car open up on the moving camera in a blaze of gunfire. Announcer. Arab terrorists! External. Sky. Day. A 747 explodes in midair fireball. Announcer. AIDS. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, internal. Hospital corridor. Day. Ignoring screams, a girl... A grim, sun-gun-lit nurse, is starched in a starched white uniform, stalks the camera, brandishing a hypodermic needle like an ice pick. Announcer. Teenage suicide. Eternal. It's school. Day. A gunshot splatters blood on a blackboard, in which there is a childish drawing of a cat with cat scrawled underneath. Answer, drug-crazed maniacs. Internal: apartment day. A knife-wielding intruder with a stocking pulled over his face and a Nazi armband kicks in the door and lunges for the camera. Answer, acid rain. External, street night. High angels on shrieking mob of people trying desperately to fend off the rain that burns smoldering in their umbrellas. External, desert, pre-dawn. Long shot of an ominous black shape which stands in the sand like a towering mountain. Music builds. Announcer. Now, more than ever, it is important to remember the true meaning of Christmas. The rising sun illuminates the dark shape as the music builds. Announcer. Don't, don't miss Charles Dickens a moral classic. Scrooge It is evident that the shape is a is giant stark letters that form the title Scrooge. Music peaks, but suddenly a blinding atomic blast shatters the letters. A mushroom cloud rises high in the sky. Announcer Your life might just depend yeah. on it. Camera pans down. Atomic dust clears to reveal candy canes lying in the dirt. Slow dissolve to... Internal. Area outside Frank's office. Day. Shell-shocked execs spill out of Frank's office. Ashen, open-mouthed, they drift away from the meeting. Frank briskly moves through them, spitting out instructions to Ted. Grace is close on their heels. Track them as they walk down office corridor. Illuminated posters of the IBC shows line the hallway. Frank to Ted. I want to I want that to run every hour on the hour. Ted. Got it. He peels off. Grace assumes Ted's position by Frank's side. Frank. Get standards and practices up here and I'm going to need to see Reese. Grace. Your attorney? Frank. No, the screamer in wardrobe, which reminds me Elliot. Uh, Excuse me, Mr. Cross. Elliot rushes up to them. Elliot. Sir, what, uh, what exactly does that have to do with Scrooge? Frank. Nothing. Why? Elliot. Well, it it, uh, seems to pervert the whole spirit of Christmas. Uh, It won't make people feel good and joyous. This ad will frighten them. Frank. Smiling coldly. It'll scare the dickens out of them. Frank turns on his heels and heads back to his office. Grace gives Elliot a sympathetic smile and follows. Internal. Area outside Frank's office. Day. They reach Grace's desk, neat and impersonal, save for a child's finger painting taped to her cubicle. Frank and Grace... Would you, uh, oh, what's the name of the kid I was just talking to with glasses? Breakhead, kid. Lot of guts. Grace. Elliot Loudermilk. Frank. Yeah, Loudermilk. Would you call security and have them clean out his desk, change his locks, and toss him out of the building? Grace. He's fired, but it's Christmas, Frank. Thank you. Call accounting and have his bonus stopped. Grace. On phone. Louder milk. Code 9. He points at the fin- Frank points at the finger painting. What's this? Grace. It's a painting of one of my kids did. See there's Santa and Frank. How many fingers does Mrs. Claus have on her left hand? Grace studying it. 4. Frank on her right? Grace. 7. He yanks it off the wall and tosses it to her. Frank. Grace, it's crap. Lose it. He heads for his office. Frank. Come in and bring your pad. Eternal. Frank's office. Day. Frank is making himself a stab. Solentia and tab. When Grace enters. Frank. Okay, let's get this over with. Read me the list. Grace takes out the Christmas lift. Grace. Goldberg. Frank. Send him a VHS home video recorder. Grace. Parker. Frank. VHS. Kalucha. The bath towel. Brock. VHS. Forrestal. Towel. With anchor. Frank stares at the window, sipping his drink, staring moodily down at the street. It's snowing heavily. Frank. What was the last rating on police zoo? External street outside IBC building day Elliot Loudermilk stands in the snow outside the IBC entrance entrance, holding a tennis racket, cardboard boxes filled with his stuff sit piled on the curb. A briefcase sails out and lands at his feet. We hear sad violin music Elliot's theme. Elliot looks up at the towering skyscraper and raises his fist. Elliot, screaming. I'll get you for this, Frank Rossi, son of a bitch. Internal. Frank's office. Day. Grace reads the ratings for Police Zoo. Grace. Five points. Two Nielsen, seven share, and TVQ of three. Frank. Towel. Grace. Your brother? Frank. Towel. Frank's getting impatient. He grabs the less. Frank. Just give me that. Towel, towel, VHS, towel. Grace, put yourself down for a towel. Grace. And my bonus? Frank. And a face cloth. Grace answers the phone. He throws back the drink. Grace. Mr. Cross's office? Yes, I'll tell him. She hangs up. Grace. Mr. Rhinelander's on his way down. Frank, what? He's coming here? Jesus Christ, how do I look? She straightens his tie and fixes his hair as he shoves the vodka bottle in the desk drawer. He then assumes an executive working pose behind the desk, jotting down notes from a copy of Sports Illustrated. Grace is about to leave when she notices the magazine is upside down. She turns it right side up and exits as Preston... Rhinelander enters. Rhinelander, IBC chairman, is in his 60s with white hair and pale blue eyes. His manner is more than reserved. It's cold. Frank. Preston, what a surprise. He holds up the Sports Illustrated cover with Mary Lou Retton in rags with crutches on the cover. Frank. It's just a... I was just going over some of the great press we're getting on this screwed show. Mary Lou Retton is Tiny Tim. Frank babbles nervously in the face of Rhinelander's stony silence. Frank, and here's the, and here's the by. She doesn't just throw away her crutches and walk. She throws away her crutches, somersaults across the floor, vaults over a lamp post, and lands in a full twisting. Rhinelander leans across the desk. Rhinelander, Frank, Frank, Frank. Yes, Rhinelander. Do you know how many cats there are in this country? Frank No, not uh right Rhinelander twenty seven million Do you know how many dogs? Frank in America? Rhinelander forty eight million We spend four billion dollars on pet food alone Frank stalls for a time. I'm unable to grasp what his boss is driving at Frank Four billion? Rhinelander. I know this must sound crazy, Frank, but I have here a study from Hampstead University showing that cats and dogs are starting to watch television. He holds up the report. If these scientists are right, we've got to begin programming for them now. In 20 years, they could be steady viewers. Frank. Programming for cats. Rhinelander. Listen, I'm not saying build an entire show around animals. All I'm suggesting is that we occasionally throw in a little pet appeal. Some birds, a squirrel. Frank, mice? Rhinelander, exactly, mice. Remember Kojak and his lollipops? How about a cop who dangles string? (laughs) That's his gimmick. Lots of quick, random movements. Frank? Frank? Wasn't there a Dormouse in Scrooge? Frank. No, but uh, now that you mention it, I always felt it needed a Dormouse. Rhinelander. Better yet, Dormice. Walk with me. Interior. Elevator Bank Day. Frank and Rhinelander enter. Rhinelander. Frank, this show is the jewel in the IBC crown. Pinning Frank with an icy stare. Everything is riding on it. Frank. Preston, I'm personally overseeing every stage of this project. We'll own Christmas. Rylander steps into an up elevator. Rylander, that's all I wanted to hear. Once tomorrow. Two. Twelve. <laughs> Frank, sounds great. As the doors close on Rylander, the doors of another vel- other elevator open, and Bryce Cummings steps out. Tan, sharp, and yuppie handsome. He sees Frank and smiles winningly. Bryce. Ah, Frank. Bryce Cummings. We met at Spago. Frank. Yeah, right. He turns to go. Bryce. Have you seen Preston? Frank turns back. Frank. He just went back upstairs. Bryce. I just dropped by to say hello. I went to school with the big guy's son. Frank. Great. Bryce steps back into the Brace. Bryce, give me a call when you hit the coast. The doors close on him. here, Grace's area, outside Frank's office. At dusk. Frank blows past Grace. Frank, over his shoulder. Give me a full report on Bryce Cummings. Grace, you're due at the Helmsley Palace in five minutes. Can I ask you? Frank, not now. Grace, ''I can't stay late tonight. I have to take my little boy to the doctor's.'' ''Frank, then I suggest you get to work on that report.'' ''Grace, but I made this a point.'' ''Frank, because the sooner you're done, the sooner you can leave.'' ''Grace, couldn't I?'' ''Frank, if it's a problem, I'm sure there are lots of younger, whiter secretaries who would just love your job.'' ''Grace, yes sir. Your brother's waiting for you inside.'' Interior. Frank's office. Dusk. His younger brother, James Cross, has been sitting in the office watching it all. James is a lanky, decent-looking fellow. He renovates brownstones, which explains why he's wearing paint-flecked jeans and a beat-up shaggy dog sweater. James. Ha, Francis! You were a little tough on her. You know what they say if you treat people badly on the way up. Frank, impatiently cutting in. You can also treat them badly on the way down. It's great you get two chances to treat them badly. Listen, I'm out of here. External, IBC Building, Park Avenue, night. James and Frank make their way through (sighs) heavily holiday crowd. James rubbernecks oohing at the sights. Frank just plows through. James. I really like this time of year. Even in Europe, people are nicer to each other. I saw a cab driver help an old lady with her packages. Well, actually, it wasn't an old lady. It was more like a young teenage hooker. But he did get out and help her with her packages. External. Rockefeller Center. Fifth Avenue. Night. James. Wow, look at that tree. Frank walks on. Oblivious. James. You don't like Christmas, do you? A crowd had gathered around, singing. Caroler. Caroler Salvation Army Band. blocking the sidewalk. Frank. Like it? I love it. It's cold. People are home watching TV. Ad revenues jump 30%. I'm the biggest fan of Christmas ever. He elbows through the crowd. Jesus. Think these idiots could take up more room? James. Any chance you could beg it for Christmas dinner? You could finally see by Frank. Pointless life? James. Hey, back off. What's the problem? I have Fred's. But wife, I'm crazy about. Frank. Fine, you have your dinner with your concerned and involved friends, okay? Send each other Christmas cards on recycled paper and string real popcorn and real cranberries for the real tree and babble about the priceless gift of sharing and kids with their eyes as big as teacups and squeeze toys for a dog and... Oh, honey, it's just what I always wanted. This is the most wonderful Christmas ever. But James... Count me out. Internal, Humsley Palace, dining room, night. Pan down dais past Mayor Koch and the Archbishop on Frank, who speaks at the podium. Frank. And he asked, Was old, wrinkled, and hangs out of your shorts? Archbishop glancing nervously at Frank. Frank. The answer, of course, your mother. Archbishop bursts into laughter. New York's power elite laughing from their tables. Frank. But seriously, we are, when it comes right down to it, one big family. I, I got into broadcasting because I care about people. Sometimes I care a little too much, and that hurts. But I never forget something the Beatles once said, The love you take is equal to the love you make. He holds up a trophy of a man, leading a small boy in the hand. Frank, thank you. Wide angle, revealing a big banner behind him which reads, Humanitarian of the Year. Frank, I will always cherish this award. Uh, External. Subway station, night. Grace and Calvin, Grace's five-year-old son, descend the stairs from the elevator and elevated... Makes sense. Descend the stairs from the elevated, okay, and head towards their street. External, Grace's project building, night. Grace and Calvin walk hand in hand towards their graffiti-scarred project. Project. They go inside and head up the stairs. Feliz Navidad drifts out of the ground floor apartment. Uh, exterior, IBC building, night. A cab pulls up to the IBC entrance. Frank wordlessly gets out and walks into the building, leaving the humanitarian award on the seat. We follow him past the two IBC security guards manning the security system's console, past a display for Scrooge, across the vast marble lobby to the elevator bank. Frank pushes the elevator button. The doors silently open. He enters, and they close behind him. Uh, internal. Grace's apartment. Night. Grace... Grace stands... Grace stands in her shabby hallway, fumbling with her front door keys. Before she can unlock it, the door flies open. Shasta and Randy, seven-year-old twins, wrap themselves around her legs, squealing with joy. Twins. Bubba's home! Bubba's uh, home! A velvet painting of Martin Luther King hangs over a cardboard fireplace. Age-worn Christmas decorations and a peculiar nativity scene which includes He-Man, Starlight, and a Care Bear bring some cheer to the dreary living room. The apartment is a little cramped for a family of four. Unfortunately, there are nine living there. Randy runs over to Calvin, pulling him inside. As Grace enters, Stephen, her 15-year-old dreadlock son, bounds in front bounds in from the kitchen, uh, his younger sister Lanel on his heels. Stephen Stephen Hey Mom Stephen takes Calvin's coat and leads him over to the couch. Stephen Calvin Calvin, come here. Sit down. Calvin stares blankly. Stephen. So what's happening? Everything okay? You want to play catch? He touches he tosses a sponge ball to Calvin who fails to react. It bounces off his check. Randy. Stupid, he doesn't want to play, catch. He wants to play Shira, Princess of Power. She dances the she doll up Calvin's leg. He doesn't respond. Uh, internal, Frank's office night. Frank exits the elevator. He locks the door to his office, walks in, switches on the lights, and locks the door behind him. Frank takes off his coat triggers a wall of TVs and heads for the bar. He watches the tail end of an ad and start of another. IBC Christmas show. We see on TV. We see on TV. External. Ocean floor. Day. A nativity scene at the bottom of the ocean with fish swimming through a uh, crash. Creesh. John Denver's Calypso plays Super title, Jacques Cousteau's Christmas Beneath the Sea. The TV continues while we watch Frank settle in. He loosens his tie, he stirs his drink. The flickering flickering lights from the TV screen make the mask seem to come alive. Tear, Grace's Kitchen, Grace's Kitchen, Night. Grandma, a loony Coco Taylor type blues mama. Whatever that is. Sets bowls of food down on the kitchen table. Grace comes out of her bedroom, drying her hair with an IBC towel. Shasta holds onto Grace's robe. Grace. What's for dinner, Grandma? Grandma. <coughs> Wheaties and olives. <laughs> yeah. Grandma. Wheaties and olives. Grace. Again. Grandma. Honey, after Calvin's doctor bills are paid, we're lucky to afford that. Grace. I know, Mom, but look, how about just the Wheaties? Shasta. Or olives. Lanel enters. Lanel Sh- Shasta needs, Shasta, Stephen needs him right now. Shasta skips out the door. Lanel So, what did the doctor say? Grace, same as all the others. He needs special treatment. It's going to take a lot of money. Grandma pours milk over the cereal and olives. Grandma, I don't see what all the fuss is about. Calvin's a sweet child. He's just a little shy. Grace, Mom, he hasn't spoken a word in four years. Grandma, well, he's got a lot on his mind. He's a thoughtful little boy. Lanel, Grandma, he's he's a a cat-a-tonic. Grace. Cat-a-tonic, honey? Lionel. Did did you... Did you give... Did he give you your bonus? Grace. Yeah, I'm drying my hair with it. Peals of high-pitched laughter erupt from the living room. Grace. What are they up to? Grandma. They're just trimming the tree. Grace, we don't have a tree. Interior, living room, night. Grace races in to find Calvin, wearing red and green PJs, standing on the coffee table. He's covered with tinsel, strings, blinking lights, dangling ornaments, and a shiny silver star. stuck to his forehead. Oh no, kids, get that stuff off him. Stephen, but bub, he looks so pretty. Grandma, even better than last year. Grace. Yeah, but still. Lano. Fuck. <laughs> uh, s- someday, we got to get a real tree. Interior, Frank's office, night. On TV, Denver continues to sing Calypso over a shot of underwater manger with fish. Drink in one hand, cigarette in the other, Frank shouts into the phone cradle. On his shoulder. No, that won't do. Heat wave or no heat wave. You guys promised me the world's biggest snowman. No, I'm not cutting the... No, I'm not cutting to Helsinki to see Hedwig. The ice skating goose. I don't give a fuck how fast he skates. Intercom buzzes. Frank, get back to me. Push button. What? Man, on intercom. Mr Cross, visitors on the way up Frank inter Frank into intercom. Hold it. I didn't authorize any visitor. Internal IBC lobby, same time. IBC IBC Guard one talks to Frank on the phone. IBC Guard one. Excuse me, sir Frank on phone. You told me you sent somebody up, IBC Guard one. No, sir, he's got up. Must be a crossed wire. Frank. We'll fix it. IBC Guard 1. Yes, sir, right away. He hangs up. IBC Guard 2. Who's that? IBC Guard 1. De Fuhrer. Sounds like he's hitting the bottle pretty hard tonight. They don't see the floor indicator lights change as the elevator rises and stops on the 22nd floor. Interior. Interior. Area outside Frank's office. Night. We see the door to Frank's office. Elevator doors open, and we hear ominous dragging footsteps. Interior. Frank's office. Night. There's a knock on the door. Frank presses the intercom. Who's there? He gets no answer. Puzzled, he unlocks the door and steps out into the hall. The hall is empty. He comes back inside and bolts the door. Immediately, knocking starts loud and getting louder. Cracking the plaster, rocking the frame, denting the door itself, the pounding stops. Frank, who's there? The door explodes off its hinges, sailing across the room. The force of the blast knocks Frank to the floor. Frank stumbles to his feet, uh, bleeding from a cut on his cheek. The room is in shambles. As the dust settles, we see a man standing in the smoldering doorly doorway, or what's left of a man. It's Lou Wexler, Frank's ex-boss and mentor at IBC. He wears rotting golf togs, complete with checkered pants, tasseled shoes, and a robin's egg blue alpaca sweater. And he drags a big, bulky golf bag crammed with clubs. Lou is a decayed corpse, a Rick Baker nightmare with moss growing on him and a mouse hole in his forehead. Lou, Hi, Frank, do you mind if I help myself do a drink? Swinging a rusted putter, Lou ambles across the room to the bar and pours himself a scotch. His golf shoes click on the parquet. Frank is not easily rattled. He opens a drawer and pulls out a revolver. Holding the gun police-style with both hands, he empties it into Lou's back. Five shots... Five shots hit him with a dull feck, uh, kicking up a little dust. It's like shooting an old pillow. The other shot shatters the glass of scotch. Lou turns around, holding the broken glass. Lou, I don't mind if you hit me, Frank, but take it easy on the doors. He turns back to make himself a new drink. Frank drops the gun. Now he's rattled. Lou raises his glass and a toast. Lou. To old times! And downs it. The Scotch cascades out of the holes in his throat and forms a puddle at his feet. Frank steps forward, recognizing him. Frank, oh my god, it's... Lou. Lou Wexler, your old boss and your best friend. Frank, but you're dead! Lou, for seven years... Frank stalls as he moves across the room towards a red panic button, security alarm near the door. Frank. Has it been seven years? Gosh, you're... Gosh, looking at you, I would say... I wouldn't say more than three. Tops. Lou. You're in big trouble, Frank. Frank edges closer to the button. A white mouse peeks out of the hole on Lou's skull. Frank. Let's say, for argument's sake, that you're right, that I'm in big trouble. What exactly would that mean, Lou? Lou. Unless you change your ways, you will be doomed as I am to wander the earth forever. Frank. Doomed to wander the earth? What do you do there in hell, Lou? Watch Masterpiece Theater? Lou moans menacingly. Frank lunges for the button and slams it. Internal, IBC Lobby, night. At the console, a shrill alarm and flashing red light go off. IBC Guard 1 switches off the alarm and answers the phone. IBC Guard 1. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Frank, on phone. Help, help! Interior, Frank's office, night. Frank babbling into the intercom. Frank, there's something up here broke down my door. He's a corpse with a mouse. IBC guard one rolls his eyes. Frank, interphone. He's threatening me. He's scaring me. He's... Frank, groping for words. He's... Lou. Setting fire to my Picasso. Frank, repeating. He's setting fire to... Frank jerks a look at Lou, who's holding his Picasso. My Picasso! The Picasso spontaneously bursts into flames. IBC Guard 1. Run away! IBC Guard 1. Hangs up and says, What do you think? IBC Guard 2? Let him sleeve it off. And cheer. Frank's office. Night. Lou rubs his forehead. Lou. I have such a headache. Got any Tylenol? Frank is beating at the smoldering painting with his hands. Frank. Do you know what this is worth? The mouse jumps out of the hole and perches on Lou's shoulder. Lou. You're alive. You forgot just what a precious thing my life is. Worth more than even a Picasso. Lou addresses a golf ball with his putter. Lou. One minute, I'm standing on the 14th hole at Wingfoot, lining up a pot. A heart attack later, I'm a worm feast. Frank. Come on, Lou, you're not a worm feast, you're a hallucination. I know, I've been drinking too much. We see a close-up of the white mouse. Frank. I'm under a lot of pressure, this whole... Lou. Silence! I had it all. I was a captain of industry, feared by men, adored by women. Frank, adored? Lou, let's be honest, you paid for the women. Frank dabs the cut on his cheek with a handkerchief. Lou, I've come to warn you, don't waste your life as I did mine. Frank, waste? How can you say that, man? How can you say that? The man who invented the miniseries? You're a legend in this business. Lou, mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy, kindness, love. That should have been my business, Frank. For your own sake, wake up. Get involved. The mouse scampers back to his hole. It's too late for me, but you could still save yourselves. You'll be visited by three ghosts. Expect the first tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock. Frank, tomorrow's bad for me, Lou. In fact, this whole week's no good. Why don't we, we take a lunch on... Lou lurches forward, backing Frank up against the wall. Frank, not Monday, Tuesday out. Tuesday's out, how about drinks? Wednesday, you, me, the ghosts, say Trader Vic's around four... Lou suddenly grabs him by the throat, with fight frightening strength. Strength he lifts him, he lifts him off his feet and carries him effortlessly across the floor towards the window. Frank, or oh, it's more fine, I could squeeze you in any time. Say, Bray. Lou thrusts him through the window without breaking the glass, and holds him kicking the air twenty-two stories above the street. Frank, ah. In a low-angle shot, we see one of Frank's shoes come off and plummet towards the pavement. Lou, this isn't a joke, Frank. This is your last chance. Exterior, window, night. Frank is crazy with fear, clutching Lou's arm for all he's worth. Frank, I believe, I believe you. But the arm begins to give way. The sleeve rips. The bone splinters. The flesh pulls apart. Frank. Oh, God, please don't, no! (laughs) The arm comes off in his hand. He's falling. He's falling, hurtling towards the street. Cut to a tear of Frank's office. Same time. Frank sails through the air, slamming into his leather lounge chair. He jolts awake. Panic. Gasping with terror and confusion, he takes. He takes in the office. It is completely intact. No trace of the nightmarish Lou Wexler at all. The Picasso hangs unharmed. The door is undamaged. Even the cut on his cheek is gone. Frank runs to the phone, frantically dialing into the phone. Frank. Dr. Rosenblum? Dr. Rosenblum. Voice over. Recording of Answering Machine. Uh, Hello, this is Dr. Rosenblum. I'm unavailable right now, but if you leave your name and number, I'll return your call at my earliest possible convenience. Until then, remember that life is like an elevator. With an up button and a down button. It's up to you which one you push. Frank. This is Frank Cross, goddammit. I need to talk to you right now. I need to talk to somebody. I think I'm having a nervous... The beep cuts him off. He slams the phone down and scrambles across the room to his desk. Yanking the door out completely, he dumps its contents on the floor. Frank grabs a leather address book stamped Business and widely tears through its densely filled pages, uh, including countless business cards, paper clipped to edges. He tosses it aside and snatches a matching address book stamped Personal. As he flips through it, we see its pages are blank. He throws it aside and digs into a pile of papers. Letters, papers, and letters. Finally pulling out a ragged scrap of paper. Uh, A close-up on the paper, a ripped paperback cover of The Hobbit. He turns it over, we see written on the other side, For my precious love, Claire. Dialing the phone number, we hear the phone ring several times and finally be picked up. Electronic tones, Recorded operator voiceover. 2433092 has been disconnected. 2433092 has been disconnected. If you require further... Frank hangs up quickly. Dials information. Frank into phone. Yes. For Claire Phillips. PHI in Manhattan. Um, Try downtown. Oh, great. That's it. He hangs up immediately dials the number. Claire. Voice over on phone. Hi. Frank. Claire, it's me. Claire. Voice over. On phone. A Christmas song plays behind her answering machine message. This is Claire. I've got a... This is Claire. I've gone caroling. Leave a message and I'll call you right back. Merry Christmas. Frank on phone It's Frank Cross I am um, I know it's been checks his watch 15 years since we spoke but I didn't know who else to I something just happened or maybe I don't know I really need to talk to you it's urgent please call me as soon as you get this my number is um area code 212 877 4191 that's 877 the phone machine machine beep cuts him off. He slowly hangs up. His gaze sweeps the quiet office. He walks to the door and runs his hand along the frame, trying to convince himself that it was only a hallucination. After a moment, he shrugs and turns for the bar. His legs suddenly shoot out from under him as he crashes hard onto the floor. The object he slipped on bounces off the wall and rolls back to him. Frank's Frank picks it up. Close up on what he holds in his trembling hand. A golf ball. With advanced track, we hear the voice of Jacob Marley. Marley. <laughs> Marley, voiceover. Mark well this warning. You may yet have a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Dissolve to. Interior. Scrooge's bedroom in studio. 8H day. Chip O'Neill as Jacob Marley and Marlon Brando as Scrooge rehearse their scene for the night's performance. Scrooge. Leave me spirits, haunt me no more. We hear sawing. Stage manager. Rehearsal of progress, keep it down. Sawing stops. Stage manager. Go ahead, Marley. Marley. For your own sake, Ebenezer, Remember what has passed between us and shun the path I've tread. Interior Frank's office morning. Reveal that we are watching this on a monitor in Frank's office. TV continues in background. Frank is sitting at his desk staring at a French sh- at a front page. Ted stands behind him. Uh, angle on New York Post front front page. The headline reads "IBC, IBC Kills Old Woman." Beneath it is a black and white photo of a sweet-faced granny. Ted, apparently, apparently this eighty-year-old grandmother was watching your Scrooge promo and uh, just keeled over. It scared her to death. On TV, Marty rattles his chains and moans. Frank, boy, I knew that ad worked. You can't buy publicity like this. He spins his chair facing Ted. Frank, okay, here's what you do. You run the same ad every half hour and you stick a warning at the top telling anyone with a heart condition to leave the room. This is terrific. Grace rushes over. Grace, I have a report that you wanted. Frank, read it. Grace, Bryce Cummings. Twenty-seven, graduated top of class at UCLA, made a name in live TV, sports, won three Emmys for Olympics, one Emmy for Super Bowl, made vice president. Frank, I know all that. He snatches the report from her, scanning it. Frank, give me some dirt, drugs, booze, guys. What's the problem, Ted? Will you want me to tell the reporters downstairs? Frank's, Frank balls up the Brace resume and flings it into the trash. Frank, let me think. He gets up, walking to the window. Frank, okay, Grace, take this down. We at IBC are shocked and appalled by this tragedy. He puts his hand on his hips, deep in thought. The network is made up of people, ordinary Americans like you or me. It is only through caring for each other, Ted. In other words, the standard statement. Frank, yeah, but make it Christmassy. Internal. IBC TV Studio 8H Day. Tight shot of an aged carved sign that reads Scrooge and Marley. A hand comes into the shot holding an aerosol spray can. A blast of brown paint hits the sign's border. Camera can't. Camera cranes up to reveal the 19th century London street being created. Carpenters hammer frantically, building the Scrooge set. Uh, a, poulterer's, a poulterer's storefront is hoisted into place. The grocer's stall stocked with fake produce. The windows of the toy store are sprayed with frost. Technicians snake cables through the set, dodging the painters and carpenters. Ted runs over to Frank, who's reeling off orders to Grace. Ted, we've got a real situation downstairs. There must be three, four hundred protesters. Frank, what's the problem? Ted, they blame us for killing the old lady. Frank, well, get the cops to clear them out. Ted, that's really not the best PR, sir. Frank, okay, tell them we share their concern and that the executive responsible has been fired. Ted, Wood executive, Frank, Elliot Loudermilk, of course, and tell them even better. Find a spokesman, and I'll meet with him personally. Ted turns to go. Frank grabs his arm. Frank, pick somebody small and old. A dour lady censor comes over, with a sexy solid gold dancer in tow. The dancer wears a terry robe over her shoulders. Lady censor. She's not going on the air. Frank. Why not? To Grace. Did you set up my shrink appointment for one o'clock, Grace? You've got the lunch with Mr. Rhinelander. Frank. Then make it for after lunch, in my office. Frank turns back to the lady censor. Lady censor. I'm sorry, but standards and practices can't allow this costume on the air. Frank. What's wrong? prop man bouncing a few victorian street lamps on his shoulder totters through lady censor to frank well specifically you could see her nipples frank i want to see her nipples america wants to see her nipples lady censor but it's a christmas show frank rips the robes from the dancer's shoulders revealing a sheer sequin chimney sweeps outfit the prop man stops dead in his track, swinging around for an eye Frank. Charles Dickens would have wanted to see your nipples. Frank notices the panting prop man. Frank. Hey, what are you looking at? Prop man. Sorry. He whips around, slamming the sensor in the back of the head with the lamppost. He drops out of frame. Claire, off screen, from behind Frank. Lumpy. Big romantic music sting. Frank turns to see Claire Phillips, a striking woman in her early thirties. She is out of breath, her face flushed, second-hand coat buttoned wrong, her hat askew. Claire panting. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get your message until this morning. I called your office, but they said you weren't in yet, so then I called later. And they said you were busy, so I just decided to... She stops, really seeing him for the first time. Claire, boy, you look different. Frank, yeah, it's been a while. Claire, it's your hair. I've never seen you with short hair before. Makes you look so grown up. Director, off screen, over PA. Frank, check this out. Rackus rock track fills the studio. Angle on solid gold dancer, wearing spiked heels and the sheer costume gyrating to the music. Fix no falls. Back to scene. Frank kneels by the fallen lady Center censor. She lies on the floor, dazed and groggy, as the IBC nurse bandages her head. Frank, that works. You just had to see it in context. Claire, is she going to be alright? Frank, oh yeah, she's a pro. Claire, what about you? You sounded like you'd seen a ghost. Frank, ghost? <laughs> oh, you mean that phone call last night? Yeah, I know. I ran across your number, so I just thought I'd check in to see how you were doing. Burly prop man walks over, waiting a few feet away. Claire, I know you. I know that voice. That's the freight and lumpy I heard. The prop man steps up to Frank, holding a wriggling live mouse one hand and a pair of tiny antlers in the other prop man two excuse me lumpy frank snapping mr cross prop man two sorry i just started here i didn't frank what prop man two (laughs) sir i'm having (laughs) trouble time getting these antlers Mm -hmm. on these mice we tried crazy glue we tried frank try staples Continued. The prop man looks at the mouse, shrugs, and exit. Frank to Claire. Anyhow, I'm uh, listen. I apologize for calling so late. I hope I didn't wake your husband or Claire. No problem. I'm still single. They look at each other for a moment. Tip O'Neill rushes past, still in his Marley makeup. Claire. Was that Tip O'Neill who just walked by? Frank. Yeah. Claire. I wonder if he'd remember me. Frank. You've met him? Claire. I chained myself to his bumper. Frank. Still trying to save the world. Claire. Gently. Still trying to run it? Frank. Suddenly angry. Frank. Suddenly angry. Get the hell out of here. Claire. But you called me. Frank. Pointing over her shoulder. Who are you? <laughs> Frank, pointing over shoulder. Who are you? Claire turns to see Calvin, Grace's little boy, peering from behind the polter's display window. Frank, how'd you get in here? Frank grabs Calvin by the collar. The little boy stares mutely at him. Frank, fine, don't talk to me. Talk to the police. He hauls Calvin out of the store. Frank. Security! Grace dashes into the room. Grace. Wait, wait, that's my little boy. Frank. Well, what's he doing here? Grace. I thought it'd be fun for him to see it real live. Frank. This is a network, not a daycare center. Keep him out of the way. Grace leaves with Calvin. Claire. Claire. Why are you so angry, Frank? Why can't you button your coat? Embarrassed, Claire fumbles with the coat rebuttoning. Claire. Sorry, I was in such a hurry, this. It's still buttoned wrong. Frank. No, just come here. Frank starts buttoning her coat. It's the first time he's touched Claire in 15 years. He realizes it. Frank. Your eyes are so green. Claire, blushing. I, uh, got those new tinted contacts. They look stupid, right? You can see the brown in that? Frank, no. They look. Loud hammering begins. Frank, to the carpenter. You can get to that later? Ted hustles over. Frank, I've had your spokesman. Director, off screen. Over at PA. Frank, director, off-screen, over PA. Frank, zulu I Lied One. Claire. Listen, I better go. Frank. Tell them to hold. Frank and Claire look at each other. Claire. Frank, what did happen last night? Frank. Oh, something ain't a bad clam. I don't know. Claire. Well, if it ever happens again handing Frank her card. Give me a call. She looks at him for a moment and leaves. He watches her walk away, a hammering resume. Frank glances at the card. It reads, Operation Reach Out, Claire Phillips, Director. Uh, 514 West, forty three Third Street, 9751440. Man, off screen. Excuse me, excuse me Mr. Cross. Frank pockets the card as he wheels on the small elderly man standing behind him. Frank, oh you, I know what you're going to say. It's my fault. Well, let me ask you something. What about the hundred million people who watched the ad and didn't die? What about them? Man. I don't think, uh... Frank, that's right, you don't think. Ted, off screen. Frank? Frank, not now. I'm running a business here. I'm trying to get people to watch my show. Sometimes I gotta slap them in the face just to get their attention. Ted, screen. Frank! Frank. Get away! People want to see car bombs. People want to see death squads and drug wars. They want to see 747 slam into a mountain and mudslides and heads on poles. Am I right or am I crazy? Man. Jeez, I don't know, mister. I'm just from the cab company. One of our drivers found this in the back seat. He hands Frank the Humanitarian of the Year trophy, Frank, to Carpenter. Stop the goddamn hammering, Ted. Off screen. Frank. Frank turns to see Ted standing with sweet white-haired nun, holding a picket sign that reads, Merry Christmas, not Scary Christmas. She stares at Frank in horror, Ted. Uh, I'd like you to beat Sister Mary Margaret from the Concierge Viewers of America. Frank. I said knock it off. The carpenter looks up from his work and shrugs. Carpenter. Okie do. The support that had been bracing snaps setting a chain reaction which, inca- which causes the entire set to crash to the floor in a cloud of dust. Angle on Lady Censor, her head wrapped in gauze, looking up helplessly as the last flat inevitably topples toward her. Dissolve to restaurant day. The wood panelled. The wood panelled conservative restaurant is crowded with New York's business elite. Frank and Preston Rhinelander sit at a power table set for three. Rhinelander. So, how's everything going? Frank, brushing dust off his shoulder. Could be better. Head waiter. S- can I get you gentlemen, something from the bar. Rhinelander. Yes, I'll have a highball. Frank, make that too. The head waiter exit. Rhinelander. Did you hear from the embassy? Frank, everything's fine. We'll be cutting back and forth between Scrooge in our studio. Re- Leroy Neiman painting the Berlin Wall, and the Holy Father blessing the Zulu nation. Rhinelander, That's just the point, Frank. I'm worried you're spending, spreading yourself a little thin. So I've taken the liberty of hiring somebody to work with you, Frank. Uh, great. Rhinelander, I knew you'd be pleased. Frank, Couldn't be more pleased. Who is it? Rhinelander calls out to someone across the room. Rylander. Bryce! Standing in the doorway, Bryce Cummings waves acknowledgingly... Bryce Cummings, Bryce Cummings waves, acknowledgement, and strides to the table. Bryce. Well, we meet again. He shakes Frank's hand and sits. Frank, I know this is coming at you pretty damn fast, but I want you to understand my only function here... Is to take some of the burden off your shoulders. Frank looks from Bryce to Rhinelander, totally confused. Bryce, a lot of men in your position would see me as a threat. It's only natural. Stunned and spe- speechless, Frank can only watch Bryce babble on. The clock strikes one. Frank stiffens, remembering Lou, Le- Lou Wexler's warning. Lou, voice over. With echo, you'll be visited by three ghosts. Expect the first one and one o'clock. Frank jerks a look at the grandfather clock in the corner, it reads one. Bryce, but would Preston hire me this morning uh, as a sort of a oh, uh, consultant? I suppose you'd call me. I said to him, Consider me just one of the team. Frank looks down at his digital watch. It reads 1 o'clock. Bryce, my, recla- my lacrosse coach had a seg that I thought was really stupid at the time. Frank nervously scans the restaurant, cher- searching for Lou's promised uh, apparition. Bryce, he used to say, there is no I in The head waiter arrives, serving them their drinks. Frank reaches for his. Close up, Frank's glass. A human eyeball, bloody veins trailing behind it, floats in the glass. Back to back to scene. He screams. <laughs> Head waiter, I'm sorry, I thought you ordered an eyeball. I'll take it away. The waiter immediately snatches the glass and walks to the kitchen. The other businessmen in the restaurant stare at Frank, muttering, shaking their heads. Rhinelander reaches across the table, grabbing Frank's wrist. Rhinelander, softly fall apart oh. don't fall apart on me now, Frank. Beads of sweat form on Frank's brow. Frank No, no, I'm uh, I'm just a little too Bryce. Uh your your lacrosse coach said What? Bryce. The point is, Frank. The head waiter turn returns to Frank's table. Head waiter, excuse me. Are you gentlemen ready to order? In the background, over Rhinelander's shoulder, we see a waiter Bring a baked Alaskan to another table. Bryce. Great, yes, I love the big grill. Rhinelander. Bobby, how's the rack of lamb today? Head waiter. Excellent choice to Frank. Sir? At the other table, the waiter sets the match to the baked Alaska and explodes into flames. Only Frank sees this. Frank. Uh, uh, I, uh. Head waiter. Me, I just the veal chop? Frank, no. No veal! No one else in the restaurant takes the slightest no- notice of the human torch waiter as he reels, shrieking through the room. Frank forces his attention back to the table, trying to ignore this newest nightmare. Frank, I'll have the, uh, the, um, the, uh... The head... The head waiter, Bryce, and Rhinelander exchange a curious, worried look. The fireball waiter runs into the kitchen screaming. Frank, I've, I'm gonna step outside. I could use some air. Frank knocks over his chair as he stumbles for the room. Bryce, he's under a lot of pressure. I'm sure he'll do just fine. Exterior restaurant afternoon. Frank reels out of the door. He spots a battered Checker cab and handles it. The cab pulls over. Frank, as he gets in, take me to. Eternal taxi. The door lock slams shut. Window window bars fly into place. We hear the sound of heavy bolts being thrown. Frank, Frank is trapped. Frank, what the hell is? This? The cab rockets from the curb, knocking Frank to the floor. The cabbie laughs wildly as he swings a U-turn into the opposite tra- into opposing traffic. The cab narrowly avoids a head-on collision. Fighting the G-forces, Frank leans forward. Frank, look out. Cabby, relax, Frank. Enjoy the ride. Frank, how do you know my name? Frank, I know everything, Frank. I'm the ghost. The cabby's head turns, exorcist-like to stare at Frank. He's an albino imp, snow-white, shoulder-length hair, ghost-white skin point ears and red-tinged eyes he grins demonically flashing sharp little teeth frank looks at the hack license on the dash on the dashboard beneath the cabbie's grinning picture it reads ghost of christmas past with the cabbie still staring at frank the cab runs a red light two cars two cars skid to miss a pilot frank forced casual listen this is great it's just such a nice day, I can get out here and walk. The cabby floors it. External. Street. Day. Elliot has just exited a liquor store with a new bottle of Rebel Yell. He cracks the top, licks his lip, and is just about to try to sip when the taxi jumps the curb, screams down the sidewalk, and the cabby snags the bottle from his hand. As it roars off into the distance, Elliot is left spinning. Internal. Taxi. Day. Frank pounds frantically on the window, yanking on the doors to no avail. Frank, are you crazy? Cabby takes a big swig from the bourbon. Cabby, here's the thing, Frank. I'm a ghost. I'm dead. I just don't care. He tosses the bottle out the window where it smashes on the pavement. Cabby, mind if I smoke? Black smoke churns out of his mouth, nose, and ears, filling the cab. Frank doubles over, choking in the back seat. The taxi shoots through a cloud of steam, suddenly appearing right in the path of a Saturday evening post truck. External, suburban subdivision, night, date, 1957. The the truck swerves just in time. Cabby, go back to Jersey, you moron. Frank picks himself up off the back seat floor, still coughing. Where are we? Where are we? Cabby. When are we is the question. Close, close up on meter as it clicks from 1957 to 1956. Frank, please take me home. Cabby. You got it. With a nasty chuckle, he hits the gas. Exterior. Another suburban street. Night. Uh, the checkered cab tears down the quiet track house-lined street and skids into the back of a delivery truck parked in front of the only house on the block without Christmas lights. Meter registers 1955. Painted on the back of the truck. Cross butcher shop. External. Taxi. Night. The, the cabbie jumps out and opens Frank Frank's door. Frank falls out, crawling from the cab. Cabbie. Oh, I come home. Frank, looking around. Oh my god, this is where I grew up. I thought they tore this place down. Cabbie. They oh, did. Frank slowly gets to his feet. Frank, right. Okay, I know the deal. I'm going to go back in time, see Mom and Dad get all gooey and start blubbering. Well, you got the wrong guy. The cabbie and Frank start walking through the snow to the house. Cabbie,
1: that's exactly
0: what Attila the Hun said. But when he saw his mom... Frank, yeah, save it for the Donahue show. Can we get this over with? They reach the front door. Cabby, follow me. He takes Frank's hand, and as he steps right through the solid wood door, Frank smacks hard into it, bouncing back onto the stoop. The cabby giggles hysterically from inside as Frank stumbles to his feet. Frank, whispering, That was a dumb joke. The cabby pokes his head through the closed door, bellowing, Made me laugh. Frank, shh. We'll call the cops on us. The cabbie opens the door, letting Frank into the bare foyer. Cabby calm down. They can't see us. They can't hear us. They're not real. They're sort of like reruns. Internal, Frank's parents' living room. Night. This is a bleak, no-frills, working-class 50s tract house. Little Frank sits inches from a black-and-white Magnavox TV set watching the end of the Howdy Doody show, the show's theme and end credits roll. Doris, Frank's mother, is pregnant with James. She lies on the couch chain-smoking Chesterfields and frowning over her crossword puzzle magazine. Earl, Frank's big barrel-chested father, still wearing his blood-stained butcher apron, comes over and turns the TV volume... Turns down the TV volume. He towers over Little Frank. Earl. Hey, Francis. I've got something for you. Little Frank. Oh, it's you two, twain. Earl. Nah, it's a ten-pound veal. Merry Christmas. He drops a butcher-wrapped lump onto the floor beside his son. Little Frank looks at it sadly. Little Frank, quietly. But I asked Santa for a choo tweed. Earl, then go to get a job and buy a choo choo. Doris glances up from her, puzzle. from her puzzle. Doris, Earl, he's only four. Earl, all day I hear excuses. Why people don't want to work? My back aches. My leg hurts. I'm only four. The machinery learns they don't. The sooner you learn, if they don't hand you life on a silver platter, they're, they're better. Little Frank sil- silently returns to the TV set, turning up a volume. Sergeant Bilko begins. Little Frank watches, mouth open, totally zoned. Doris. What's well, a 4 little word for affection that begins with L? Earl. Who cares? Frank and Cabbie exit house. Cabby. Shoot. So you you spent the next 15 years sitting on your ass, alone, watching TV. Frank. That's not true. I did things. I played baseball. I remember back in the seventh grade, I hit a home run. And we won the big game. Cabby. No, you didn't. Frank. All right, I'm sorry. That was a TV show I saw. The courtship of Eddie's father. Cabby. We're here. Frank. But... There was this time I ran through all these wide flowers and the sky was blue, and the sun was streaming down. Gabby, okay. Frank? Frank, no, wrong again. That was Little House on the Prairie. Gabby, face it. Garden slugs get more out of life than you did. Frank, can I go back to the office now? Gabby, hop in. They get in, and the taxi peels off into the night. Close on taxi meter. Ticking away years from 1955 to 1967. We hear off-screen sound effects of taxis getting through corners, bashing fenders, then horn honking, a cabbie cursing, etc. External, IBC building. Day. Date, 1968. Uh, The checker swerves up the curb, slamming into a 68 Cadillac limo. Internal, IBC, main offices, day. Clothes on sheets of paper sliding from a Xerox machine. Copied on each sheet is a black and white image of a woman's behind. Pull back to reveal Tina, a cute young secretary, perched on the Xerox glass. Panties around her ankles and a bottle of champagne in her hand. She giggles with an IBC page as the copier's light passes beneath her. Widen to see a wild IBC office party in full swing. A banner hung across the room reads "Cool Yule '68." Lou Wexler, Lou Wexler, in his in his prime and wearing a red alpaca sweater, kisses a sexy girl dressed as a miniskirted Mrs. Claus. Rowdy IBC staff sing, dance, drink, and cut loose as Phil Spector's Christmas album blares from a stereo. (coughs) The far door opens, and young Frank, now about 20, with long hippie hair, wheels his IBC mail cart into the room, oblivious to the party. He takes a handful of mail and carefully but efficiently tosses it into into the appropriate slot. Present-day Frank and canby watch from the doorway. Lou breaks free of Mrs. Claus and saunters over to young Frank. He takes a sip from his scotch, watching young Frank diligently at work. Lou, excuse me, Fred. Frank, Frank, sir. Lou, Frank, did you happen to notice a big Christmas party around here? Did you... Young Frank, laughing nervously. <laughs> yes, sir, I'm almost done. Tina skips over and hands Lou her Xerox copy. Lou, taking it. Thanks, Tina. I think we've all seen your Christmas card. Man, off screen. Lou, the bear's getting warm. Where's the ice? Tina, to Young Frank. Wanna dance? Young Frank. no. Thanks. Uh, I think I'll just finish up and head home. Tina shrugs, grabs a nearby IBC exec, and dances with him. Lou watches workaholic Frank sort mail. External IBC building day. Young Frank exits, follow, followed by Cabby and present day Frank. Present day Frank holding the Christmas card. I must have been nuts. That Tina was a little minx. Cabby. What could you do? You had mail the sort. <clears throat> External, Central Park, Day. Young Frank strolls along the path, trailed by Cabby and present-day Frank. He hears waltz music drifting from Woolman Rink and follows it. Exterior, Woolman Ro- Woolman Ice Rink, Day. Young Frank walks up to the railing and leans against it, watching the skaters. A blonde beauty... Trolls on the flood lit ice. Her brief silver skating out- outfit sparkles with every perfect move. Suddenly, a figure blurs into frame, blindsiding the golden girl. It's young Claire, in jeans, a flannel shirt, and a too long scarf. This sets off a chain reaction collision, toppling skaters right and left, but somehow young Claire is left standing. Now skiing backwards towards the railing, angle on young Frank. He shoots a warning, uh, as does present-day Frank. Revealed standing behind him, young Frank, look out! Present-day Frank, look out, Claire. Angle on young Claire, as she sails headlong over the railing, decking young Frank, who smacks his head on the on the ground. Young Claire, are you all right? Young Frank, rubbing his head. Ow. You skate like young Claire. An angel? Young Frank. No, a truck. She untangles herself from him and lurches to her her feet. Young Claire. Thank you. I'm sorry. He stands, still rubbing his head. Young Frank. I didn't need that lobe anyways. She smiles. They look at each other for a moment. Young Frank. Well, see ya. Young Claire. Merry Christmas, young Frank. Yeah, you too. She turns, waddling on her skates towards the rink. He starts to walk away, then gets the idea. Young Frank. Hey, want to go to a big Christmas party? Young Claire. No, not really, young Frank. Nah, me neither. Well, goodbye. He turns and walks towards the camera. Young Claire. How about Chinese food? Young Frank breaks into a wide smile. Uh, Externo. Central Park Path. Day. Young Claire and Young Frank walk together. She holds a copy of The Hobbit. Young Claire. Except, he's not really evil. I mean, and the end, Golem bites off Frodo's finger and falls into the crack of doom. Oh, great, Claire. Oh, great, Claire. Tell him the whole ending. I'm sorry. Hmm. Uh, young Frank scoops up some snow and puts it on his head. Young Claire, does it still hurt? Young Frank, yeah, I've got a big lump right here. Young Claire, let me feel it. She gently touches his head. Young Claire, oh yeah. Young Frank, moving her hand. Not there, here. Young Claire, rubbing the spot. Oh wow, that is a lump. Moving her hand a bit. Hey, what's this? Moving her hand a bit. Hey, what's this? You've got another. Young Frank, shaking off his head. Uh, It's a sign of intelligence. Young Claire dashes out into the street, waving at a taxi. Hey, Lumpy, there's a cab. The checker whistles past. And here, checker, day. Present day, Frank watches her through the rear window. Close on taxi meter, clicking from 1968 to 69 with off-screen car squeals, etc., ending in a resounding crash. Interior, East Village apartment, night, date 1969. This living bedroom is decorated inexpensively, but with youthful exotic hippie flair. The bed is a paisley draped mattress on the floor. The room is lit by dozens of candles. Young Frank stands over a small, scraggly Christmas tree, which has been decorated with Christmas cards, peace symbols, and a solitary strand of lights. He holds a treetop angel. Young Frank to Claire off screen. Where's the angel go? Young Claire walks in, fresh from the tub, a towel wrapped around her. Young Claire, on the top. Haven't you ever trimmed a tree before? He sticks the angel on top. Young Frank, uh, no. Young Claire, oh, my poor lumpy. She throws her arms around Frank and kisses him. In the background, we see present day Frank and Cabby watching through the window on the fire escape. External fire escape, same time. Present day Frank stares at young Claire as her towel falls off, revealing her bare back. Present day Frank to himself. Forgot how beautiful she was. The Cabby pushes past Frank to Claire. Are you kidding? She's a total taste. Frank shoves Cabby out of the way. In- internal apartment. Young Claire slips on a shimmery silk kimono. Young Frank. Can we give the presents now? She nods. Young Frank. Here. He hands her a large gift wrap box. She carefully unwraps it. Angle on box of Ginsu knives. Young Claire stares down at them. A strange smile on her face. Young Claire. Oh, how wonderful. Knives. Lots and lots of knives. How did you know? Young Frank. Proudly. Well, I saw how you always chop those vegetables. Young Claire. They look really sharp. Young Frank. They are. They're Ginsu knives. I saw them on TV. You can cut through a can. Here, I'll show you something. You got a can and a tomato? Young Claire, hugging him. I just love them. Now, here, your turn, open mine. She gives him a beautifully wrapped gift. Young Frank, tearing the paper to bits. You know, I just got those in time because the offer expires at midnight. He looks down at the gift. A book. Young Frank. The Kama Sutra, Ancient Indian Love Guide. Far out. Young Claire. Young Claire. Read the inscription. He holds the book up to the light. Young Frank. All I can make out is Christmas 1969. The rest is just a bunch of wriggly lines. Young Claire. It's Sanskrit. Young Frank. What's it say? She leans over the book. Young Claire, pointing at each word. This says wet, and this is hot, and that's all I'll tell you. Young Frank opens the book, turning it slowly as he studies the illustrations. Young Claire, you know the Peace Corps expects you to at least speak the language. Young Frank, brow furrowed, holding book sideways, you can't do that. That's impossible. These guys have got to be double jointed. Young Claire, maybe when we get to Nepal, we can rent one of those house puts. Houseboats right on the lake. Young Frank, totally absorbed in the book. That sounds nice. Wait a minute. Hold on. I don't believe this. Young Claire. What? Young Frank. They say there's a secret place you can touch on a woman that will make her bark like a dog. She moves closer to read over his shoulder and he puts his arm around her. Young Claire. That's the silliest thing I ever. Oof, oof. Bark, bark. Claire. Begins howling and barking like a wild dog. Young Frank leans over and kisses her. A long, passionate kiss. They both begin howling and baying. Angle on present-day Frank and Cabby. uh, Standing on the windy fire escape a few feet from the embracing couple. Frank quietly to Cabby. I'm cold. I'm going to go home. Pan up to the full moon. We hear young Frank and Claire's howling echoing into the night. Cross-dissolved to IBC TV studio. Night. Date 1971. A white overhead Klieg light, the howling continues as we pan down to a man in a dog suit on all fours, howling at a cartoonish Mike the Mailman who wears an exaggerated corny mailman suit, bow tie, and carries an oversized mail pouch. We are watching a children's TV show in progress. The, jo- the dog chews Mike's pant leg, growling in front of a whimsical doghouse, hand-lettered kitty kennel. Mike the mailman. Let go of my leg! I've got something in my mailbag for you! The dog clings to his leg. Mike the mailman. It's a Christmas present for Blassie! Mike pulls... Had a big bone-shaped object wrapped in Christmas paper with a red bow. The tag reads, Merry Christmas, 1971. Off-screen applause and children's cheers. Uh, the dog sits up, tongue out, be- begging for the bone. Angle on audience of children, sitting on bleachers, screaming and laughing at the show. Seated dead center in the middle is a stone-faced present-day Frank and the delighted cabbie. Angle on Mike the dog. Mike studies the gift. Mike the mammoth. What could it be? Is it a book? Angle on kids. Kids shouting. It's a bone. It's a bone. Angle on Mike and dog. Mike the mammoth. Is it a basketball? Angle on kids. Kids shouting. It's a bone. It's a bone. Angle on Mike And Dog, Mike the Moonman, Is it a pair of mittens? Angle on kids. Kids shouting, It's a bone! It's a bone! The cabbie leaps up from the crowd of children. Cabbie, It's a fucking bone, you dork! The kids, of course, can't see or hear him, but Frank buries his face in his hands. Angle on Mike and Dog, the Moonman pulls a huge bone from the gift wrapping. Mike the Moonman, Oh, look! It's a bone! He sticks it in the panting dog's mouth as the off-screen children cheer. Stage manager. And weird commercial. We hear the top... We hear the top of a 70s Hasbro toy commercial as young Claire runs up to the dog, hugging him and waving a letter. Young Claire. We made it! They took us! We're in the Peace Corps! The dog takes off his costume had to re- costume head to reveal young Frank, young Frank without emotion. Really? We're in. That's great. Young Claire. Of course we didn't get Nepal <laughs> They're sending us to Africa, but here's the best part. They want us there in the first week. Lou Wexler, wearing a pumpkin colored alpaca sweater, saunters over. Lou Listen I got an idea winking at Claire Hi, sweetheart to Frank. Why don't you eat the dog food? Young Frank I thought I was gonna throw the dog food, Lou. Well eat it and then throw it Young Claire You can you can teach irrigation and contour ploughing and I'll show the women how to prepare well Bounce, stage manager. 30 seconds to air. Young Frank. Contour plowing. Contour plowing. Yeah. You know, honey, Uh, I'm not sure. Lou cuts in. I got a better idea. You try the dog food. It tastes like crap, and then you throw it. Young Frank. Well, wait. If it tastes like crap, why don't I do a spit take? Blue. Perfect. Young Claire. It, it'll be so cool. Maybe we can sail down the Nile. Stage manager yelling. Fifteen seconds. Young Claire. Young Frank to Young Claire. I'm sorry. Floating down the Nile. What? Young Claire. Frank, we've been talking about this trip since the day we met. Young Frank. Uh, I can't just walk out of here at the drop of a hat. I owe a little something to the kids. Look, why don't you go, and as soon as I can, I'll meet you there. Lou. Lou. Are we clear on this? Uh, A shapely prop girl sidles over, holding a big dog bowl, brimming with dog food. Prop girl, smiling flirtatiously. Frankie, here's the bowl. Young Frank. Yeah, I try the dog food, it tastes like crap, I do a spit-take, and then I throw the dog food. Young Claire. I've got an even better idea. Why don't you wear the dog food? She grabs the bowl and dumps it over his head. The kids go wild. Young Claire. Merry Christmas. She turns on her heel and leaves. Young Frank watches her go, the brown, lumpy dog food crawling down his face. Young Frank. Honey, what's wrong? You You angry? Stage manager. Frank! Your head! Three, two, one! Angle on kids, squealing with laughter. The cabbie is doubled over, wailing. Frank grimly gets up to go. The cabbie follows, catching his breath. That was great. What was that show? Frank, huh? Oh, it was just a children's thing. Cabbie, wiping away tears of laughter. Yeah, but what was it called? Frank, reluctantly. Uh, Frisbee the dog. Cabby, you left her for the Frisbee the dog show. You must be insane. Frank, hey, I made a few mistakes, okay? I'm only human. Well, fine. I can live with that. I know what I am. I know what I want. I know what's going on. I am not insane. To drive home his point, he whirls around and slams his fist into the wall. Dr. Rosenblum, off-screen. Of course you are not Frank. Interior, Frank's office, day, date, the present. A balding middle-aged man, Dr. Rosenblum, uh, pats Frank on the back. Frank cradles his bruised hand. Dr. Rosenblum, it is a little upset. Frank desperately tries to get his bearings. Frank tries to get his bearings, Frank. What? is going on doctor Rosenblum examining the broken wall. You just uh you just experiencing a little stress, which is perfectly natural, Frank. You are in a high pressure job and Christmas is a particularly stressful time of year. Frank leans towards the doctor. Frank. But there was this ghost doctor Rosenblum. That's What psychiatry is all about, Frank? Dealing with ghosts. Frank. But Dr. Rosenblum, he told me... Dr. Rosenblum. Oh, by God. You're doing a TV show about a bad who's visited by ghosts. I'd be worried if you weren't dreaming about them. Look. Dr. Rosenblum grabs the remote control and clicks on the monitor. On screen. Internal. Scrooge's office. Day. Young... Ebenezer Scrooge stands mutely as Belle, his fiancée, ties her bonnet and readies to exit. Director, voiceover, over P.A. Alright, just give me a second. Level on that. Belle to young Ebenezer. I have seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion greed engrosses you. Farewell, Ebenezer. May you be happy with the path you have chosen. Angle on Frank, watching the TV. Frank, well, I am happy with the path I've chosen, you little bitch. I couldn't be happier. Dr. Rosenblum, calmly. Now, Frank, I'm going to double your prescription, and I suggest Frank to TV. Let's just see how your life turned out. He storms out of the office. External, IBC building, day. Frank exits the building, still ranting to Claire. Exit the building, still ranting at Claire, and heads west on foot. An IBC guard regards him suspiciously, Frank. Just for the record, you left me. You're the one who ran off to Africa, not me. Dissolve to... External, New York Street, mobile blood bank, day. Uh, big big signs on the truck offer top dollar for pints of blood. We hear Elliot's theme, played on a violin. It's snowing. Unshaven and wild-eyed, Elliot Loudermilk exit holding a fistful of cash. Walking unsteadily towards the curb, he counts the money, grins and pitches forward into the snow, passes out cold. The violin music stops, reveal... Who's been playing the music? A street violinist, violinist, with his upturned hat sitting empty on the sidewalk. He picks up the hat, comes over to Elliot, plucks the money from Elliot's hand, puts on the hat, and strolls away. Frank passes by, not noticing man, not noticing the man in the gutter, caught up in his rant, caught up in his rant. Frank, I stayed right here. You're the one who had to help the Hotten tot, hot Tots or whatever the hell they're called. Uh, external. Homeless shelter. Afternoon. The shelter, once a Cadillac showroom, has papered the big windows with bright murals painted by the inner city children of the community. The name of the project? Operation Reach Out is spelled in the giant multicolored letters. Color up, shivering in the wind, with Claire's card in his hand, Frank strides towards the one-story building. Frank. I couldn't just go traipsing off somewhere. I had commitments. I had obligations. Interior. Shelter. Day. The large room is warm and busy with Christmas activity. People hang crepe paper bunting, decorate folding tables, string Christmas lights. Several cafeteria tables set up in the center of the room feed the hungry and homeless on every, of every age and color. Frank enters, still babbling. Frank, what about my needs? Face it, lady, you treated me like dirt. like dirt. Hazel, a middle-aged black woman who works at the shelter, notices Frank. Honey, you look frozen. Let me get you a nice hot cup of coffee. Frank. Thanks. Hazel. You go ahead. Sit over there. I'll ring it to you. Frank goes to the nearest table and sits down with the homeless. Sitting beside is Herman, a dirt-caked wino mess who stares into his soup. He wears a grimy t-shirt that reads, Frankie Says Relax. Above the table, a remnant from the showroom's days There's a glittery sign on the wall which reads, reads, The style you demand, the luxury you deserve. Hazel Hazel brings Frank's coffee, wraps a blanket over his shoulders, and bustles off. Frank clutches the the steaming styrofoam cup. Herman edges closer to Frank. He pulls an old music box, pocket watch from his soiled jacket, and opens it. Beautiful dreamer plays and he checks the time. Herman, oh, the cocktail hour sidling against Frank. Now, Dick, you know your fine wines, your great westerns, your lancers, your Matthias, but for my money, you can't buy nothing better than he slams a half-empty bottle of Mogan David Concord grape wine on the table. Herman, mad dog, twenty-twenty. He snaps the pocket watch shut. Beautiful dreamer stops. Herman takes a long swig and passes the bottle to Frank. Herman. Come on, Dick, drink up. Frank. Why do you keep calling me Dick? Herman. I'm sorry, Mr. Burton. Maybe I don't know you good enough to call you Dick. But after Exodus 2 and Night of the Iguana, I felt we had a certain... Frank. I... Listen, I'm not Richard. Herman. Ah, and if you could just do a line or two from Hamlet. Frank, leave me alone. Herman, breathing mad dog fumes in Frank's face. or the Shampiper. Frank, no. Herman, Cleopatra. Frank, in perfect Richard Burton voice. I am Mark Anthony, and you shall be my queen, Cleopatra, and together we will bring Egypt to our knees. Regular voice, now beat it, you old lush. Claire suddenly appears, reaching over and snatching the wine. Claire. Herman, make yourself useful. Go help. Hang the lights. Noticing Frank. Frank, what are you doing here? Frank, I'm having a real bad day. Frank stands. Claire fixes his collar. Frank, you said if it ever happened again, I should drop by, and it did. Claire scoops up an armload of balloons. Claire. Here, give me a hand with these. Angle on Frank and Claire. They cross the crowded shelter to a pyramid of gifts topped by a TV set with banner, Grand Prize. A sign attacked across the base of the display reads, Christmas Fair Raffle. Save our shelter. Claire scampers up a rickety stepladder and begins taping balloons to the TV set. Frank, bracing the ladder, has has misgivings. Frank, do you want me to do this? Claire, leaning on one foot. No, I'm fine. Frank, I've been thinking a lot about the past lately. Claire, why? Frank, you know how you make choices at the time? They seem like only choices, but then later you wonder what would have happened if you made different choices. You know what I mean? Claire, no. Suddenly realizing, Frank, what are you talking about? Regret? Frank, yes, exactly. Regret. Claire, how does this look, Frank? You could use a few more on the other side. Claire teeters precariously as she adds balloons to the other side. Claire, you know, Frank, the only good thing about regret is that it's never too late. You can always change if you want to. Believe me, I deal with it every... blam. The balloon she's taping pops, startling her, causing her to lose her footing and fall on top of Frank. They land on the floor in a giggling heap. They lean on each other, trying to stand. Frank puts his arms around Claire, holding her, hugging her. Their laughter fades as they become aware of the contact. They step back. Claire, are you okay? Frank, rubbing his head. I I think so. Hey, uh, let's let's get out of here. You want to get some Chinese food? Hazel rushes up. You you got a problem? Do you know where the fuse box is? Claire, oh, yeah. to Frank. Right now? Frank. Sure, why not? We could. Hazel. You better call the a about the turkeys. Claire. They're not here. To Frank. Wait a minute. I'll be right back. Frank. Straightening himself out. Listen, don't bother. Claire. It'll only take a second. Frank. You know these people are just using you? Claire. I hope so. That's why I'm here. What's wrong? Frank. Nothing. I'm just sad to see you wasting your life again. Claire, indicating people in shelter. What do you mean? Fr- Frank, scrape them off if you want to save somebody, Claire. Save yourself. Thanks for the coffee. He walks away. Eng- angle on Herman. He clutches his mad dog to himself. Herman, singing jingle bells, rock. Giddy up, jingle horse, shake up, succeed. He walks by. Frank to Herman. You're my way putting out his hand Listen, Dick, think you could lend me a few bucks, shows I Frank. I gave at the office. Cut to IBC Studio eight H a little later. It's snowing on the London streets of the Scrooge set. For a moment we don't realize they were now watching the rehearsal of the television scroll Scrooge to an urchin. Now will be off with you or you'll feel the stick across your back. We track Marlon Brando as Scrooge as he strides down the cobblestone street, waving his cane, scattering the street urchins who beg for handouts. John Houseman narrates. John Houseman. Voice over. a Scrooge hurried past the ragged boys who stood shivering in the snow, gnawed and mumbled in the hungry cold, as bones are gnawed by dogs. Urchin 1. Spare a penny, sir? A half penny? Urchin 2. A crest of bread? Scrooge. button Buttonholes a bobby standing under a lamp lamppost. Carol, carolers sing Good King Wenceslas in background. Scrooge. Excuse me, my good man. Can't somebody be done about them? Must I be constantly harassed by these damn sea urchins? Bryce. Off screen. Marlin, buddy, reveal Bryce on edge of set with TV cameras, technicians, sensor with gauze wrapped head, etc. The rehearsal, the rehearsal halts. carolers break off singing. Snow stops falling. Bryce, That's street urchin, that's street urchins, not sea urchins. Guys, that's it. Did a break. Bryce, let's be back at what hour? Don't be in an hour at five minutes. Frank storms up to Bryce. Excuse me, I call the dinner breaks around here. Bryce, well, Frank, if it beats that much to you, I'll get the back, and then you can say it's time for dinner. Frank, I think it's time you and I had a little talk. Bryce, you're right, but I promised Preston I'd drop by and give the... A- I'd have a drink with him. Let me take a rate check on that, okay, Chip? Bryce squeezes Frank's arm, winks, and joins the other cast and crew exiting the set. Frank stands bewildered as the Bobby, street urchin, and some gold, and some solid gold dancers pass by. Urchin 1. I got a call by service. Solid gold dancer. If you're going downstairs, pick me up a pack of merits. Frank wanders down the now-deserted 19th century London set. He passes the Cobbler's, the ladies' Emporium, the Tobacconist, the Candlemaker, till he reaches Scrooge and Marley's and goes inside. Interior, Scrooge's office. The office is musical comedy, real with period furniture and low dark beamed ceiling. A frost-edged, many paned window looks out on the studio-slash-London street, Frank slumps warily at Scrooge's massive desk. Grace arrives, holding papers and a mobile phone. Grace, Mr. Cross, I've been looking all over for you. They've shot Leroy Neiman. Frank ignores her, lost in thought. Grace, the East German border guards, just open up on... He whirls around. Frank, get me Preston Rylander on the phone. Grabs the phone from her. He grabs the phone from her. In fact, forget it, I'll get him myself. Starts styling. Don't you have something to do? She leaves. Frank is the only one left in the studio. Frank, Judy, it's Frank. Is he in? Yeah, I'll hold. Preston, this kid Bryce is really getting on my nerves. Yes, yes, no, I understand that, but he's not helping. I'll tell you what he's doing. The studio goes black. Frank, hey, uh, I, uh, through the window he sees a follow spot cut on, throwing a bright circle of light on a golden easel in the center of a darkened London street Frank wait a minute a woman's hand enters the circle of light and places a big art card on the easel that reads in flowery style the ball breaker suite Frank hang on a second he puts the phone aside and goes to the doorway to get a better look We hear an off-screen Celeste celeste begin. uh, The familiar strains of the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the Nutcracker Suite. And, indeed, an exquisite Sugar Plum Fairy with translucent wings and shimmering tiptoes into the light. Frank can scarcely believe his eyes. She dances superbly, gracefully, Exchanging, executing leaps and spins and twirls and pirouettes and lots of other things with fancy French names, <laughs> her wings quivering excitedly, she glides over to Frank and at a key point in the music, womp kicks him solidly in the balls. His eyes cross, he staggers, barely able to stand. As the music starts up again, she gaily flounces off, chanishing with a flourish, does a little curtsy, and introduces herself to Frank. Hello, Frank. I am the ghost of Christmas present. She speaks somewhat like Glenda, the good witch with a delicate British accent and a sing-song falsetto. Frank hoarsely, Why'd you do that? Fairy, sweetly, Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention. Frank, fine, slap me in the face, that's fair enough, but you kick me in the... F- fairy, oh hush, Frank, it's time to begin our journey. Now close your eyes. Frank, you close your eyes, I'm through. Fairy, don't be quarrelsome, close your eyes. He reluctantly closes his eyes. Fairy, And think of snowflakes and moonbeams and whiskers on kittens. On kittens, he sneaks a wary look at her. There, 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 no peeking. Of rainbows, forget-me-nots, of misty meadows and sun-dappled pools. Oh, look, there's Mr. Hedgehog. I wonder where he's going. Perhaps to dreamland. She leans back and unloads a freight train right uppercut to Frank's jaw. In the shower of pixie dust, we cut to internal Grace Cooley's living room. Christmas Eve, Frank lands on the floor. We hear angelic, bluesy, electric guitar playing away in a manger. He groggily sits up. Frank, where am I? Heaven? The fairy stands over him, smiling serenely. No, in Harlem! Grandma sits on a threadbare sofa playing the soulful string bending guitar. She is surrounded by six of Grace's children who all sing along. The shabby living room is bright with Christmas lights and decorations. An electric space heater adds to the cheery atmosphere. Frank rubbing his jaw. Ow, that really hurt. Fairy. Sometimes the truth is painful, Frank. And besides... It's made your cheeks rosy and your eyes bright as stars. Frank slowly gets to his feet, shaking his head to clear it. The front door opens and Grace and Calvin enter. Grace, Merry Christmas, coolery family. Some of the kids rush over and hug her, helping Calvin out of his coat. Oh, shit. Lano, Oh, Mom, you didn't have to come to get me. I can. Grace. I'm not having you ride that subway alone at night. You almost ready? Lionel nods. Angle on twins. Shasta and Randy huddled over a top-like plastic puzzle trying to get all the metal balls into the holes. Frustrated, Shasta pulls it away from her sister. Get away. You don't know how to do it. Randy, trying to grab it back. Give me that. It's fine. Give me. Shanda hits her with the puzzle, and Randy bursts into tears. Fairy. Good gracious, what of us? She sprinkles a little pixie dust over them, and instantly they're all smiles. Shasta. Here, take it. Here, try. Randy. No, it's your turn. Frank notices Calvin sitting near them, eyeing the puzzle. Frank. Cute little guy? What's, what's wrong with him? Fairy. He saw his father kill and just drifted away like sleeping beauty. Frank, I didn't know her husband died. Fairy, do you remember the period when she wore black for her hair? Frank, yeah, I thought it was just a new look, some fashion thing. Angle on Grandma. Grandma, you all ready to dance? Kids, yeah. Grandma bends over, cranks up the volume on her battered pig nose amp, and tears into three dogs night tears into three dog nights joy to the world angle on fairy Frank Calvin and twins the twins go off to dance leaving the puzzle on the floor the fairy prances off to join them Frank is alone with Calvin unseen he watches him the little boy stares at the puddle puzzle suddenly he reaches over and with the flick of the wrist spins it Close on puzzle. As all the metal balls click into place, angle on Frank, stunned. Calvin blankly moves away. Frank crosses the room to the dancing fairy. Frank. That kid, the little one, is he going to be okay? Fairy. It's his choice. Only he can break the spell. Frank glances back at Calvin, sitting by himself on the floor. Fairy. My, this is a merry tune. Come, join the dance. She does a quick pirouette. Frank, huh? No, no thanks. Grandma wails, singing the chorus. Joy to the world, all the boys and girls. join to the visions in the deep blue sea. Stephen joins her, drumming on the phone book. Shasta and Randy grab Grace and rock around the room. All the kids are dancing now. The fairy leaps onto the coffee table and does a grand jetebarka lounger. Everyone is swinging heavily, close on a kitten. Curled up in the middle of the nativity scene, uh, opens drowsy eye, yawns, goes back to sleep. Back to scene. Frank begins tapping his foot, shyly snapping his fingers. Grandma jumps up, windmilling her beat-up telecaster for all she's worth. Frank to Fairy. You sure they can't see me? He finally surrenders to the beat and dances, timidly at first, but quickly progressing to full-out party beats. To full-out party beast. The fairy prepares to depart. The fairy. Come, we must tarry. We've tarried long enough. We must. Frank, frugging wildly, Layin' up, Mama. Let's get into the zone. Let's get ill. Fairy. This is a disgrace, Frank. Look at that ceiling. A woman in your employ living like this. Shame on you. Still dancing, Frank glances up at the crumbling ceiling. You're right. When I get back, I'll give her... a. The fairy sucker punches Frank with a Mike Tyson right. In another burst of pixie dust, we match cut to... Externo, James Cross, Brownstone, Night. Establish a brownstone under renovation. A large dumpster sits outside. Uh, Off-screen noise brings us to interior James Cross, Brownstone, Living Room. Christmas Eve. The blow sends Frank crashing into a bar trolley loaded with glasses and party snacks. He struggles to get up, picking cocktail cherries off his lapels. A big mongrel dog growls at him. Frank. Fairy no fairy. You do that one more time and I'm going to rip your wings off. Wendy Cross off screen. Cujo, bad dog. Wendy, James's wife, a long-limbed stunner with an easy smile rushes over to the trolley and begins cleaning up. A guest lends a hand. Guest one. It's you turn, Wendy. Wendy, go ahead, I can hear you. The fairy Helps Frank to his feet and gestures around her fairy. Oh, what a gay feast. We see a warm, homey place full of friends and food. Cujo curls up in front of a roaring fire. We hear medieval Christmas carols played by a chamber quartet on the stereo. A bushy Christmas tree strung with real popcorn and real cranberries soars to the seedling. Uh, this lovingly restored Victorian broom. Strewn at the foot of the tree lie opened gifts. Frank. This looks like a lone brow commercial. Fairy. Do not vet- vex me, Frank, or I'll fix your mouth so it won't hold soup. As Frank looks at her apprehensively, Wendy notices an unopened present under the tree and brings it open to Jane's. Wendy. We haven't opened your brother's gift yet. Wide shot of living room with everybody gathered around. James, opening. James opening the gift. In the background is Frank and Fairy, guests too. This ought to be great. What did he get you this year? James, I don't remember. What did he get you last year? I don't remember. Uh, Wendy, a shower curtain. They all laugh. Frank to Fairy. It was a beautiful shower curtain. It was gray. A little IBC stamped all over it. James unwraps the large present. Wendy. What did you get him this year, James? What did you get... Wendy. What did you get him this year, James? Nothing really. I made a frame for an old snapshot of the two of us when we were kids. Kids. James reaches into the box and, with difficulty, pulls out a top-of-the-line VCR. James, I don't believe it. A VCR. Frank explodes. Frank, I'm going to kill her. I distinctively said tell. I remember saying the words. Wendy, you probably got the gifts mixed up, Frank. I didn't get the gifts mixed up. The ex-secretary got the gifts mixed up. James, over his friend's laughter. You really don't know him. Wendy, and I'm never going to know him. Every year, you invite him to the Christmas dinner, and every year, he's too busy to come. When are you going to learn? James, never. He's my brother. The fairy looks over at Frank. Frank, what the hell? Frank, what the hell? It's Christmas. Wendy, can we please get back to the game? We're winning. The party gathers around... Guest three and a triv- trivial pursuit board. Guest three. Okay, on the Adams family, what musical instrument did Lurch play? Fairy. Frank, we must be off. James to Wendy. I think it was a violin. Frank, wait a second. I'm grabbing. Wait a second. I'm star- starving. Let me grab a turkey leg or something. Guest four. Is that your answer? Wendy. It could have been a violin. He only had one hand. Fairy. I'm afraid we've lingered long enough. Frank. Let's just hang out. That's sort of fun. James. That wasn't lurch. That was thing. The fairy attempts to throw her trademark right cross, but Frank easily blocks it. Guess two. Wasn't he in the Munsters? Frank. Come on, babe. Give me your best shot. Wendy. Let's play piano. Two James. Okay, we're saying he played piano. Guess thee. Guess three. Wrong. He played the harpsichord. She glances. Piano. James. Piano, harpsichord, same thing. Fairy. Oh, how sweet. Mistletoe. Frank looks up, and before he realizes his mistake, she rockets him off to Dreamland. With a blast of pixie dust, we match cut to interior. South Bronx tenement apartment night The blow The blow sends Frank sprawling into a shadowy wound room apartment It's bitter cold he angrily picks himself off a floor off the floor, ready to duke it out Frank OK that's it That does it Sensing he's alone Hello Miss Fairy Woman Ghostess anyone? Frank tries the door he yanks it locked tight he pounds it Pounds on it with both fists. Frank, come back, please. Don't leave me here. The door won't budge. Frank stumbles back into the room. shuddering in the bluish light, exhaling cold clouds. He fumbles out his lighter and flicks it on. It doesn't shed much light. He grabs an old newspaper off the floor, rolls it tightly into a torch, and sets it on fire. A few feet away, on a decaying couch, it's Herman the wino. He watches Frank wordlessly. Frank, ah, sorry, you scared me. I thought I was alone. Herman continues to stare at him. Frank, I'm not going to hurt you. I need your help. It's me, uh, Dick. He reaches out and gently shakes Herman. The gold pocket watch falls from Herman's hand, and the lid opens as it lands. It begins playing Beautiful Dreamer. Frank holds the torch closer. Herman's white face and blank eyes confront him. Frank, oh my god. He's frozen to death. Frank backs away, slowly looking around the room. Herman stares at him as if in judgment. Frank's point of view. While Beautiful Dreamer plays, we see where Herman came to his end. Roaches crawl over an empty, doorless refrigerator. A plume of ice hangs from a broken water pipe. Uh, The floor is littered with rags, cans, newspapers, bottles. The watch runs down and stops. Frank, lost in the sad inventory, doesn't notice the torch in his hand. Frank. Ah! The flame sputters out, leaving Frank in darkness. He panics, smashing the boarded-up windows with his shoulder, but they won't give. Frantic, he tries kicking the door. Nothing. Grabbing a chair, he batters the door with all his might. The chair shatters. Frank gathers his last bit of strength to make a final charge through the door. He breaks through. Internal. IBC Studio. 8H. Scrooge set, Christmas Eve. Frank bursts through Scrooge's office door, flattening the lady censor and tumbling to the floor. We hear heraldic horns play a fanfare. The IBC announcer sets up the mic, steps up to the mic. Announcer: ta Live on NBC, the world premiere telecast of a Christmas classic. Charles Dickens, immortal Scrooge. We see reaction sh- shots of extras on Victoria costumes. Technicians, solid gold dancers, Tip O'Neill, dressed as Marley, Bryce and Grace. All staring at Frank in stunned silence. Bryce, hissing to Grace. He'll be getting off the set. Frank... Dazed and confused, staggers to his feet, stammering inarticulately as Bryce and Grace try to lead him away. He sneaks a peek inside the Scrooge office. A prop man hurries out. Bryce, here, grab his arm. What are you looking at? Let's get with it. Stage manager. Thirty seconds there. Grace, I've been, I've been worried about you. Bryce steers him off the set towards the elevator. Bryce, we've all been worried about you, Frank. Now why don't you just go upstairs and kind of supervise things from that big office of yours, huh? You could check those satellite link-ups. Frank, yeah, okay. To cast and cr- crew, good luck, guys. Um, I feel magic, uh, magic tonight. Now at the elevator, the doors open, and standing before Frank, hooded black cape, billowing, red eyes glowing in a skull is the ghost of Christmas future. Frank shrieks. Dropping to his knees, he clutches pitifully at the ghost capes. Frank, take me! I give up! Do whatever you want! The ghost tries to pull away, stumbling back into the elevator. Ghost, help! Guard! Security! A husky IBC security guard moves for Frank. Bryce, lifting Frank up. That won't be necessary. Frank, you just need a little rest, and you'll be fine. To Grace. Get this nut-, nut cake the hell out of here. Frank stares wide-eyed wide-eyed at the ghost who edges past him. The ghost waves his Scrooge script angrily. Ghost. Listen, I got a show to do. I don't need this. Frank, as Grace gently guides him to the elevator. I'm okay. False alarm. Go get him, kids. The elevator door closes. Ghost. To Grace. This is live TV, not tape, not film, live. Bryce, calm down. Ghost, don't tell me to calm down. There's going to be a hundred million people watching this show, and I'm the one who's going to be out there, not you. He turns on his heels and stalks away, cape luffing behind him. We track him through the congested backstage area. Ghost, anyway got a value Solgo Dancer looks up, from fixing the run in her stocking. I saw all the gold dancer. There's some in the bag in my dressing room. Ghost. Thanks, honey. Stage manager. Voice over over PA system. Fifteen seconds. The ghost walks through a quieter area. He reaches the dressing room and enters. Uh, Eternal dressing room. The ghost shuts the door behind him and crosses the empty room to the lit makeup mirror. He tosses back the black hood to and very slowly removes the horrific skull mask with blazing blood-red eyes beneath it. A horrific skull face and blazing blood-red eyes. This really is the ghost of Christmas future. Light bulbs explode around the mirror. The skull stares at his nightmarish reflection. There is an evil sizzling sound of smoke curls from his eye sockets. Here, Frank's office, night. Frank sits at his desk, confused and exhausted. On the TV screen, John Houseman sits in a wing chair. He opens a leather-bound copy of Scrooge and begins to read. Houseman. It was a cold, bleak Christmas Eve. The fog-draped streets of London were deserted, save for an occasional carriage that moved like a phantom through the dingy mist. We hear the clip-clop of horses' hooves on cobblestone. Frank pours himself a water glass full of vodka. Houseman on screen. Old Ebenezer Scrooge screwed, sat to load. It is gloomy chamber, more bitter than the night. Christmas, he thought. Bah, humbug. Frank takes a big swig. Internal. Studio. Eight. H. Hallway. Mary Lou Retton, dressed in rags as Tiny Tim hobbles a few feet on her wooden crutches. Suddenly, she stops, flings her crutches aside, and somersaults down the corridor. corridor. Flies into a full, twisting backflip and lands on her feet. Mary Lou. God bless us, every one. Sitting in a folding chair against the wall is a wide-eyed Calvin Cooley. He stares up at Mary Lou with strange intensity. Calvin's sister, Lanel pulls up a chair beside him. Mary Lou's coach approaches her. Try it again, and this time really stick it. Mary Lou nods and returns to her original position. In the background, John Husband walks briskly to the dressing room, uh, trailed by his dresser. Grace comes over to Calvin and Lanel. She puts a hand on his shoulder. Grace, you guys having a good time? Mary Lou Retton hurtles down the hallway, landing right in front of Mary Lou. God blesses everyone. Calvin can't take his eyes off her. Internal. Frank's office. Over Frank's shoulder, we see the TV monitor with Brando as Scrooge sitting in his dreary counting house. His nephew uh, proudly sets a glass case on the desk. Scrooge. And what are these supposed to be? Nephew. Why, their door, dormice, uncle. Clothes on mice with antlers glued to their tiny head. Nephew off screen. The Rage of London. I brought a pair for by. Internal. Rhinelander Beekman's Place, Branstone Night. Preston Rhinelander and his ha- handsome white haired wife sit in their classic wasp parlor watching Scrooge. There are two Persian cats paw at the screen after the dormice. Rhinelander. Works like a charm. Internal. Frank's office. Night. Scrooge. Never heard of such foolishness. Frank meets the sound with the remote control. Frank is totally gone. He pours himself another stolly, settling down the bottle without looking. It falls, spilling over his cluttered desk. He grabs it and begins sopping liquor with an envelope. Uh, seeing a wrapped gift among his papers, he stops to pick it up. The tag on the gift, to Frank. We stay on Frank as he opens the package. He freezes when he sees what's inside. His eyes fill up. Tears begin to stream down his face. Brushing them aside, he sets the gift on the desk and walks away. Cut to the gift. Black and white photograph. To Frank of Frank and James as little boys in front of a tract house. They have their arms around each other and smile happily into the camera. Inscribed at the bottom of the picture, To Frank, the best brother guy ever had. Merry Christmas, love, James. Frank pours himself another drink. Scrooge continues in monitor showing a street scene. Internal, Studio 8H. The Victorian Scrooge Street is in full glory. The poulterers hung with geese and turkeys. The grocers bursting with polished fruit. Wind-up toys dance in the toy store windows. Vendors hawk their chestnuts. Crowds of happy shoppers bustle down the snow-covered street. Children carolers sing God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen beneath a flickering gas lamp. Brando, as Scrooge walks beside a jolly giant wearing a long velvet robe and a holly wreath in his head. Dickens' ghost of Christmas present. We track them down the cherry street. Scrooge. This has indeed been a night of revelations. Thank you for showing me the true meaning. Big Ben begins chiming off screen. Ghost of Christmas present. Take me not, Seveneaser, for soon you will be visited by the final spirit, the thing all men fear the most. Cut to, external, Manhattan, night. A huge, blood-tinged moon slits ominously on the horizon, dwarfing the silhouetted skyline. Cut to, uh, interior, Frank's office, night. Frank, framed by the crisscrossed window, Grid stares out at the swollen moon. He stands imprisoned, a solitary, lonely figure. Frank, his back to the camera, stands at the far end of the spacious office, staring out the window. He turns, and dull with booze, slowly crosses the room. The vodka bottle upside down in his hand leaves a trail along the carpet. As he passes the TV monitor, we see appearing on the screen, wreathed in gray mess, the black-hooded ghost of Christmas future. The solemn phantom points, a long, bony finger at Frank. Frank continues on, oblivious. We see the ghost, a skeletal hand pointing straight at Frank, take over all the monitors. Suddenly, the door flies open. Elliot Loudermilk, unshaven, with crazed, red-rimmed eyes, wearing pajamas, and overcoat, mud-caked galoshes, harlequin sunglasses, and carrying a double-barreled shotgun, stands in the doorway, smiling. Elliot. Honey, I'm home! He blasts the vodka bottle out of Frank's hand. With a sobering jolt of adrenaline, Frank dives behind his desk. Elliot. Remember me, boss? The guy you canned the day before Christmas? Another shotgun charge slams into the desk blowing the phone to bits Elliot calmly breaks apart the smoking gun and slides two more shells in Frank cowering behind the desk Elliot I've been trying to get you on the phone firing you was a big mistake another blast blows out the TV monitors Frank winces Frank as of now consider yourself rehired bonus and everything He breaks cover, bolting out the door. Elliot fires, missing him by inches. Uh, Internal hallway area, outside Frank's office, night. As Elliot coolly reloads, Frank tugs on an office door. It's locked. He runs to the next door, also locked, yanking on the handle. The doorknob comes off in his hand. Elliot. how was my day, you ask? Well, my wife loved me. Took my little girl with her. And that's all I can remember. Because ever since, I've been blind, drunk. Elliot clicks the gun into place with a metallic snap. Elliot singing softly. You better not shout. You better not cry. You better not bet. I'm telling you I. Frank hides behind a secretary's desk. Frank, you were right. I was a jerk. I've missed the whole point of Christmas. I know that now. Elliot appears above him. Frank looks up to see both barrels inches from his head. Frank, but I've been through a lot today, and I've learned a lot. He gets to his feet. Elliot singing, he knows when you are leaving. Elliott backs Frank up against the wall. Frank, I've done some terrible things, not just to you, but to people who love me. But the wonderful thing is it's not too late. Elliot singing, knows when you are... Frank gives Frank, please, just give me a chance. Elliot aims with both barrels at the camera over his shoulder. We see the ghost holding out both his skeletal arms in a death embrace. Frank off-screen, and I promise you, both barrels explode with a deafening roar. Frank drops to the floor, barely dodging the blast. Two smoking holes are blown, uh, blown out inches above him. Frank scampers on all fours down the hall. Elliot, in no hurry, reloads. Frank springs to his feet as the water cooler explodes near his head. Elliot follows him down the hall, the shotgun dangling casually over his elbow. Elliot, singing, No swing, when you've been bad, or... Frank runs until he reaches... The elevator bank. Incredibly, the elevator bell rings and the door slides open. Frank leaps inside and hits L. Frank frantically punches closed door. Elliot rounds the corner. So be good for. The door closes on Elliot, aiming both barrels into the elevator. Frank is safe. <sighs> elevator night. Frank stares up at the descending floor lights, sweat beating on his forehead, panting heavily. Suddenly, he realizes there's someone else breathing in the car, low, death-rattled breaths. He whirls around to see the ghost of Christmas Future right behind him. Frank, ah, good, it's you. Scared me to death. Frank wipes his brow, recovering. Frank, what the hell are you doing here? Shouldn't you be downstairs in the studio? We're on the air. He notices something rustling beneath the ghost's black cape. Frank, hey, what do you got under there? He pulls back the cape to reveal hellish faces writhing and moaning in pain. Trapped inside the hollow ghost's bloody ridge cave prison, Frank yanks the cloak shut, eyes wide with dread. He slowly looks at the ghost's hooded face, whiffs... Wisps of smoke drift from the coal red eye sockets. Frank, oh shit, whoa, that's that's some costume, really works. Whew, I'm scared. Elevator doors open behind him. Frank, whoops, my floor, gotta run. As the ghost silently glowers at him, Frank bolts out of the elevator into a situation too horrible to be described. Frank shrieks, pulls a U-turn, and dives back into the elevator as Bernard Herman's piercing psycho sting strings pursue him. Frank hysterically jabs all the elevator buttons as the doors close. The ghost stares down at him. Frank, my mistake, so you don't stay much, do you? I, uh, I like that in a man. Strong, silent type. Chicks love it. The ghost doesn't respond. The elevator descends for a few more floors, finally stopping. The door is open to reveal... Internal, Willowbrook Bar- Willow Mental Institution, late afternoon. We see, squatting in a shadowy corner of the Snake Pit Nightmare, a slightly older Calvin wearing a grimy nightshirt. Reverse angle on Frank and Ghost watching from inside elevator. Frank, two ghosts. So, what? Am I supposed to know these people? Angle on Calvin. As an older Grace Cooley brings him a cup of water handing it to him. Now be careful, sweetheart. Drink it slow. A hospital orderly taps her on the shoulder. Grace, please. I just got here. Orderly, visiting hours are over. He starts to escort escort her away. Grace breaks free, running to her son. She hugs him tightly. The boy stares at nothing. He's lost. The orderly pries her off, leading her from the room. Grace, crying. Don't worry, Calvin, honey, I'll be back. You're a good boy. The elevator doors close. Frank, two ghosts. Is that true? Is this the future? But I can change it, right? I will, as soon as I get back. Making a no- note in his pad. Take Grace's son to specialist. See? It's a done thing. That easy. The elevator descends and stops again. The doors open on exterior Rodeo Drive, Sidewalk Bistro, Day. A trio of middle-aged Beverly Hills Harpies gossip over their nouveau salads at the outdoor cafe. The women have too much jewelry, too much makeup, and too much cosmetic surgery. They wear expensive fringe and studded designer jumpsuits and distressed hair. The women... With her back to the camera, flicks a red talon hand through her orange shag. Woman. So, by now, the new girl is waxing my legs. We move, we move around her to see. It's Claire. She's become tough and brassy. Woman, too. You mean the Korean? Two children, ragged and gaunt, walk to the cafe's railing, watching the ladies eat. I guess they all look. Seeing the kids. Hey, beat it. Searching over her shoulder. Waiter. Woman three. Good, Claire. They're just kids. Angle on Frank. Eyes widening as she hears Claire's name, recognizing her beneath the garish mask. Angle on Claire. Lighting a cigarette, her puffy face is set in a steer. Claire. Don't tell me. I wasted 20 years on losers like them. Thank God a friend took me aside one day and said save yourself. "'Scrape them off. Best advice I ever got.' The children continue to stare at her. She sips her drink, a tear in her eye. Claire, to herself, "'Yeah, best advice I ever got.' The elevator doors close on this scene. Frank turns to the ghost. Frank, "'I didn't mean it. I was angry and hurt. I didn't want... She was, she was right. The second I get back, I'm going to call Claire. "'No, no, I'll go over and see her. Thanks.' Thank you for showing me this. This was good. The elevator descends, finally stopping at the bottom floor. This time the doors slowly swing open with a chilling stone against stone sound. The ghost wordlessly floats past Frank out of the car. Frank, hey, wait up. <laughs> Frank follows the specter into... External. Cemetery. Night. Frank looks over his shoulder to see he has just stepped out of an age-worn marble mausoleum. He shudders, dashing through the Michael Riva graveyard after the ghost. They walk, slash, float side by side through the moon-swept headstones and crypts towards the bear hall. Wendy Cross stands there alone, head Frank, oh no, James. My brother is dead. Oh, what a waste. I should have, I don't know, what my problem was with him. He was my brother, and I love him. I do. When I get back, I'll... James Cross steps out from behind behind a monument and joins his wife. He is sobbing. She holds his hand, comforting him. Frank, halfway, James, he's okay. Realizing, well then, who's uh, buried there? Frank looks at the ghost, who simply points towards the freshly dug empty grave. Frank, Frank is drawn up the hill. Close on headstone, which reads Francis Cross, beloved brother. The birth and death dates are obscured by a floral wreath. Angle on Frank, shaking his head, mouth open in disbelief. What? I'm dead? What the hell are you saying here? I've died? That's crazy. I mean, if I'm dead, how can I change any of this? My brother's showing me these things if I can't do anything about them. Why bother showing me these things if I can't do anything about them? Backing away from his grave. No, I'm sorry, that's it. That's enough. You're not getting me in there. He wheels, fleeing back to the mausoleum elevator. His only possibility of escape. Spectre Spectre points a a bony finger after him. Interior, elevator, night. Frank races inside and pushes the 22nd floor. The doors slide shut. He looks up at the floor lights. The car is still. He's breathing hard. Suddenly, with a wrenching metallic sound, the walls of the elevator begin to close in on him. The ceiling slowly drops. Frank jams his arms out, trying to fight it, but the elevator tightens to fit his body. The lights flicker and in an instant before they go out, we can see the elevator car has become Frank's coffin. From outside, we hear hands roughly grab the coffin and turn it sideways. Grave digger one. Off screen. Easy. Watch it. Grave digger two. I got it. You get back. Grave digger three. Damn, it's gold. Frank, hey, what's going on? I'm in here. External. Cemetery. Night. Three grave diggers carry Frank's coffin Up the hill to the grave where James and Wendy wait. Gravedigger went, Not much of a turnout. Tear Frank's coffin. We hear Frank's panic breaths. Frank, anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? Hello? We hear creaking, jostling sounds. Frank, help! They lower the coffin into the pit. James, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Tear coffin. The blackness... In the blackness we hear James muffled a voice. James, voice over. He leadeth me beside the still, whispering to himself, Oh my God, I'm being buried alive. Help me, help me. In the total darkness we hear the sound of dirt hitting the coffin lid. Frank goes Berserk Frank, get me out of here He pounds frantically against the casket. The wood creeps. Frank, hysterically, "'No!' Shovelfuls of dirt hit the coffin. Frank's pounding increases, and in, "'I want to live! I want to live!' continued with his last ounces of strength. He slowly prized open the coffin lid. Match cut to... Interior, IBC, 22nd floor, elevator back, night. Frank burst out of the elevator and lands on the floor. Frank, "'I want to live!' Church bells ring loudly on the TV monitor above him. Frank stops thrashing. He looks around, recognizing that he's back, safe on the 22nd floor. As the reality hits him, a big smile spreads across his face. He bounds to his feet. He giggles, laughing louder, finally shouting with joy. Frank, I'm alive! Elliot steps from around the corner, aiming the shotgun squarely at Frank. Smiling, Elliot says... Not for long. Frank brushes the gun aside and throws a brotherly arm around Elliot. Frank. Okay, here's my final offer. You're hired. Back at twice the salary. Move upstairs to a big office and I'm making you Vice vice president in charge of programming. Elliot lowers the gun. Elliot. Excuse me, I'm looking for Mr. Frank Ross. I must have the wrong. Frank stops him as he turns to go. Frank. No, it's me. But it's not me. I'm a new man. I'm a lover. He gives him a big kiss on the cheek. Frank, I'm a singer. He hits a high note. On the TV monitor, the clanging bells of London change to the caroler singing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Frank, I'm a dancer. He grabs Elliot and waltzes him wildly down the hall, but Frank freezes in mid-tango spin. Letting go of his partner's hand, Elliot sails across the floor and topples over a deck. Frank, wait, are we still in the air? Elliot climbs from behind the desk. Elliot apprehensively, got about ten minutes left. Frank helps him to his feet, throws an arm around him, and steers him towards the door. Frank, ten minutes. Come on, Elliot. Frank pulls a shiny red Christmas ball from the corporate wreath, hooks it around his ear, and flashes a whack again. Grin. Frank, let's have a little fun for once in this life. Cut to interior, studio, night. Scrooge. Scrooge, wearing a nightshirt and tassel cap, throws open the bedroom shutters and looks out. Scrooge, oh, what a glorious day. Never has there been such a day. He shouts to the street urchin, lobbing snowballs in the street below. Scrooge, you there, lad. The boy stops and looks up. At the window, urchin one. Yes, sir. Are you talking to me, sir? Scrooge holds up a shiny coin. Here's a gold, sovereign. Go buy me the biggest goose in all of London. He tosses it to the boy screen, a slow motion of the tumbling coin, but it's caught by a different hand. We hear gasps. We hear the shocked reaction of Brando, Grace. The place is in a panic. Elliot has appeared with a shotgun behind the director. Elliot, just stay on him. Uh, Interior, studio, night. The hand opens, and Frank Cross looks down at the coin he just caught. As more cameras glide over to shoot him, Frank takes charge. Frank, which camera am I on? This one? Come on in a little closer, Tony. Into the camera. Hi, I'm Frank Cross. I'm the president of this network. And I gotta ask you one question. Interior. Rhinelander's Den. Night. Bolt upright in his chair, nervously sipping a drink, Preston Rhinelander glares at Frank on the TV set. It uh, started to snow outside. Frank. What the hell are you doing watching television on Christmas Eve? Rhinelander does a spit take and lunges for the phone. Interior. Studio. Night. Frank. Do you have a family? I do. I have a brother, and he's the best. Here, James living room. Night. James, Wendy, and the other couples, couples crowd around the TV watching Frank. Frank, waving. Hi, James. Uh, I should be there with you guys right now, not here. We could be drinking. We could be drinking punch, telling jokes, eating mince pie. I don't know. But I, sh- I should be with the people I love. It's Christmas Eve. They all cheer, startling the dog. James. You tell him Frank. Studio. Night. Frank. No family? What about your friends? The gang you work with? Interior. Rhinelander's den. Night. Rhinelander's on the phone, and Frank's on the console. Rhinelander. Control room? Control room? Who let that idiot in on the air? Elliot is on the other end of the line, holding shotgun. One-foot... Up on the director's chair. Frank. Frank's in the monitors. Elliot, Bryce Cummings did, sir. Frank, your bowling team. Uh, an old army buddy. Your personal banker. Rhinelander on the phone. Rhinelander on the phone with Elliot. Put Bryce on the phone immediately. We pan away from Elliot to find Bryce festively trussed up. Christmas ribbons gagged with a big bow stuck on his head. Elliot, I'm sorry, sir, he's tied up right now. Bryce attempts to hop out of the room, but Elliot deftly slams his foot down on the end of Bryce's ribbon, and he topples to the floor with a big crash. Frank, back on TV, call him up, have him over there, have a party. When I first started here, my boss gave great Christmas parties. We're going to do that again. Tonight, we're going to do that again. Tonight. Why? Because it's Christmas Eve. Angle on cameraman. Sound guys, prop men, actors, technicians in studio, whooping delightedly. Angle on Frank. Frank. Yeah, we've got to get a band down here. You grab somebody you like and dance, and you kiss them under the mistletoe. Thinking Thinking about Claire. Boy, there's a girl I'd like to be with tonight. Tear, homeless shelter. Night. Claire watches Frank on the raffle TV. Frank, a girl I loved a long time ago. Move in on a tight shot of Claire. Frank on screen. A girl I still love. We see Frank on TV, Claire watching. Frank brightening. But that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, Claire. It's not too late. It's Christmas Eve. Exterior shelter night it is snowing. Claire runs out into the street and hails a cab. A checkered cab fishtails to a stop. as She jumps in. Uh, interior checkered cab at night. Claire, I have to get to, I have to get to the IBC building in two minutes. The cabbie turns a wide, pointy-toothed smile, slapped on his demon face. Cabby no problem. He punches the accelerator and the cab peels out. Interior. Studio. Night. Frank. No friends? Go make a friend. Visit a neighbor and introduce yourself. What do you think? Are going to slam the door? In your face? Don't worry. I got an idea. Leaning in conspiratorially. Bake him some cookies. Interior. Dr. Rosenblum's living room. Night. Frank's psychiatrist sadly shakes his head as he watches Frank on TV. Frank. Not just ordinary cookies, no, 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 special cookies. The ones shaped like bells and stars and little snowmen. Dr. Rosenblum to himself. He came to me for help, but I failed him. Interior. Studio. Night. Frank. Then Then put some red and green sprinkles on top. Knock on their door and say, Merry Christmas. Want a cookie? It'll work. It's Christmas Eve. Or caroling. That's a cool thing to do. Grace, Calvin, Lanel, and Mary Lou Retton watch Frank from the floor. Frank. Get together and sing some of those classic old Christmas songs. He demonstrates. Stack the halls with bows of all the. Eternal. IBC Lobby. Guard console Night. The two guards harmonize loudly, their voices echoing in the marble lo- lobby. IBC Security Guards. I'm dreaming of a white... Eternal, Grace's living room night. Grandma on the Telecaster and the Cooley kids sing. Cooley family. Jolly old St. Nicholas, lean your ear. Eternal, Claire's homeless shelter night. Homeless are gathered around a beat-up old upright singing with Hazel, while Hazel plays. Shelter crowd... Oh, little star of Bethlehem. Interior, Rhinelander's den, night. The TV is still on, but Rhinelander's chair is empty. As Frank continues to speak, we pan over to the window and the sounds of caroling outside. Frank, get out there, wake the neighbors, it's Christmas Eve. His arm around his wife, Preston Rhinelander, stands looking out at carolers who are serenading them. We see a reverse of the carolers, a cross-section of New Yorkers, with the Rhinelanders framed in their parlor floor picture window. Preston applauds His wife beckons to them, throwing open the window. Wife, Merry Christmas! Want a cookie? Interior studio. Night. Frank. There are people around you who are having a terrible Christmas. They're cold and they're hungry. Things couldn't be worse. Hey, if you're not doing anything, and you're and you're not, you're just sitting around watching me on TV, why don't you drop by and see him? Give him a sweater, an old blanket, make him a sandwich. Frank notices Calvin. We see Calvin staring back. Frank off screen. Show him we care. Frank presses on. Do something do something for God's sake, it's Christmas. Exterior waterfront night. Three bums huddled around a fire in an oil drum during the snowstorm. Siren wailing. A cop car pulls up and hits them in the face with a street light with a searchlight. Cop one, all right, you get over here. Take this. He shoves a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken out at them. Cop two, and don't tell anybody where you got it. Interior studio night. Frank. For one night, we act a little nicer. We smile a little quicker. We share a little more. For a few hours, we are the people we always hoped we would be. Isn't that amazing? It's really sort of a miracle. A miracle. That happens every year on Christmas Eve. Don't waste it. Get involved. Wake up. We see Calvin, unnoticed by his mother, slip away and wander towards Frank. Frank, take a chance. Get out. Celebrate. It's going to be a great night. After all, it's Christmas Eve. He notices that Calvin has come over and is standing beside him. He reaches down and Calvin shyly slips his hand in Frank's. They share a smile. Frank turns to the TV camera. Frank, Merry Christmas. Calvin turns to the camera too. Calvin, and God bless us, everyone. Grace is stunned. She bursts into tears. Lanol and Mary Lou look at each other in amazement. Frank laughs and scoops up Calvin in his arm. Grapes gives them a big hug. The whole studio applauds Frank, including many persons we've seen before. The London Bobby, the Nanny Censor, Prop Man 1, Prop Man 2, Holding Dormice, the Nurse, Tip O'Neill, the Street Urchins, the Carolers, the Carpenters, the Painters, the Technicians, Wayne, Ted, Solid Gold Dancers, Lanol, Mary Lou. Mary Lou's coach, Scrooge's fiancé, Scrooge's nephew, Scrooge's ghost of Christmas present, Tony the cameraman, stage manager, the other IBC execs, Elliot and Marlon Brando. Claire can barely get through them. Frank spots Claire, fighting her way through the crowd. He hands Calvin to Grace, and Claire rushes into his arm. Claire, tears streaming down her face. Merry Christmas, Lumpy! Frank, Christmas? Bah! Humbug. He winks at someone high over his shoulder and kisses Claire again. We crane, we crane back and up slowly on the reunited lovers, embracing in a pool of light, framed by a cheering throng, till we catch Lou Hayward and three ghosts perching on a Victorian rooftop, smiling triumphantly. Sitting with them now, an angel with wings and a crooked halo, is Herman the Wino. John voice over, and from, and from that day forward it was said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If anyone alive possessed the knowledge, he became as good a friend, as good a brother, as good a boss, as good a father, as the good old city knew. And he worked to make the world a happy place where children laugh. And men dream dreams of peace, and angels sing the end roll end credits as all sing angels we have heard on high everybody everybody angels we have heard on high sweetly singing or hear the plains. fade out this is the end of the show a sincere thank you for listening time to plug some things and I do not mean buts You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory.